0: You had a baby. Yes. Little Maisie's uh, almost seven months old. So, and it just, I mean, it's been a complete whirlwind as, as I'm sure, you know, from years ago, but uh, yeah, my, my brain is all sort of all over the place.
1: It, it looks like the last time you were on the show was April, 2017. Is that crazy? Wow. So
0: yeah, two years ago. Um, yeah, that's, uh, Again, if I condense the the past seven months into like 10 (laughs) seconds, that seems about right.
1: I am following along with young Maisley on uh, on the Instagram, and uh, she looks delightful. Uh,
0: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I think so. Megan and I obviously both run that account, but she does more of the uh, more of the posting. I would say it's it's always funny. She's she notes sometimes how uh, how avid of a follower you are, which we
1: appreciate. (laughs) Uh, It's, you know, sometimes I feel like a hypocrite for for being such a vocal Facebook critic and still enjoying Instagram. And other times when it's it, it, it can be so personal like that. I'm like, you know, I'm willing to. I'm willing to eat this hypocrisy for the time being because, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting something out of this.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I, I mean, I know you were you were very early, I would say, on that uh, ahead of that trend. Right. With Facebook. And nope. did you ever even sign up? Nope. I know you have Instagram, but not no, Facebook
1: I've itself. Never right? once signed up for Facebook.
0: And uh, that looks pretty prescient these days. Um but, uh, yeah, even those of us who are sort of now more vocal critics in the in the later years after everything that's went down in the past two years with Facebook uh still can't quite wean myself off of it uh mainly for family reasons, like my yeah. mom uses it a ton, and so it's a way she follows Maisie and everything but um but also, yeah, Instagram still remains just an awesome network, and so it's uh it's hard not to to have that hypocrisy, i guess uh you know,
1: and I Yeah, so I I hear loudly admitting that I use Instagram. I'm I'm not sure that Instagram at this point, especially once uh, Kevin Systrom and uh, whoever the other co-founder was decided to leave. Mike Krieger. Mike Krieger. You know, our Instagrams privacy policies and data retention any better than Facebook? Is it, really, is it really worth thinking of Instagram as an independent entity of Facebook? I, I, I think probably not. So I mean, I, again, I'm not trying to do like a holier than now or better than now thing. But I think that not having ever signed up for Facebook is a lot easier than quitting. Just oh, because yeah, of the things sure. you say, like, so like my mom, I don't even know if my mom's on Facebook. I don't think she is, but I know I have family, you know, I've got my yep. sister. I'm Shirley is, I think it would be, it, you know, there is no awkward moment where I've stopped liking her pictures of her kids <laughs> on Facebook because right. I never was in the first place. Right. Yeah,
0: it's that, and it's also, um, you know, all the services throughout the years, there's still a number of ones that I've, like, authed in through Facebook, where I'll come across, mm. you know, something that I'm trying to log into, and I'm like, God, I, I and I don't have, like, the password saved in 1Password or whatever, yeah. I'm like, what is, what is my password? And then I realize, oh, I authed in through Facebook, and it's like, yeah. I probably have a dozen services like that.
1: I did a bunch like that with Twitter, um, just for the, I'm thinking, like, well, I know I've got my my Twitter account secure, "Quote unquote," right. but I really right. don't right. now that I think about it because they use the phone number as the second, yep. off second factor. And right, that's really not that great. So yep. in hindsight, but this is like three four years ago. I felt like my my Twitter was very safe, and so I'd sign up for accounts or, uh, in new services using my Twitter ID, and have since come to regret that every time. And I'm slowly, but when I realized it, I like unwind it and see if there's is there a way that I can magically switch to a regular. Log in for X, Y, or Z service.
0: Yeah, and I'm the same way, and obviously to a greater extent with Facebook, given all we're talking about, but um, it's just like, you know, when you're signing up for all these new services, as you know, as I had to back in the day, as a journalist and now as an investor, obviously still signing up for almost as many, if not more, and it's like, am I going to enter my email and come up with a password every single time for something that I'm maybe going to use once? And so it's so enticing to just click the button of sign in with Facebook or Google or Twitter, um, yeah. even now. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's funny that Apple never got into that. There has never been a sign in to third party services with your iCloud.
0: Yeah, they would have been. Uh, I mean, especially now, these days, you know, they could uh, they could certainly upsell that as a strong uh, security and, and privacy component. Doing something like that with your yeah iCloud account, I would. I I think they should do that. I don't know why they why they don't. I mean, it's not technically easy, I'm sure, but yeah. uh, it seems like a huge thing that they could offer.
1: Yeah, I, I, just a just a thought. <laughs> as we go through all the privacy. Yeah, the privacy wars that's what we'll look back on this era as um so anyway per, 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 uh the, the whole parent game is is treating you well
0: yeah uh it's every day is is something new and crazy but it's uh i feel like i have my feet at least a little bit under me until something changes tomorrow but
1: uh yeah it's good at seven months let me think about this is she's she's probably she's rolling over for sure right
0: yeah, she rolls around, not crawling yet. Yeah. Uh, she's mainly sleeping through the night, which is awesome. Uh, some nights obviously are, are different. She's also teething, so that can affect yeah. uh, that a little bit. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty awesome.
1: It's a long time for me. My son is fifteen; feels like a very long time. <laughs> but uh, and, yeah. and it's, he's our only kid. But uh, but the teething thing was interesting because you think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that hurts. But then it's like when their gums hurt. It is like must be excruciating. It makes sense that it would be because oh, yeah. it's like there's a tooth cutting through their gum. But then the other thing is that you kind of feel like like a genius doctor on TV. You're like, I've got it. It's teething, and it's like <laughs> right, but, right. But we had yep, like a ice cold pacifier you know that's in the freezer get that and and let her suck on this you know ice cold thing or or put a little bit of that uh aura gel or whatever it was exactly. on exactly that's and right it works, and it works and you're like holy crap i solved the problem
0: <laughs> yeah when when she was first going through it of course we were like what is going on why is she crying like uh she's been fed she's been changed i going through the checklist and then it's like you just put your finger in her mouth and it's like oh Yeah, that's why yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My other thing too is is around that age It's one of my favorite like to me like holy crap parenting moments was the beginning to roll over because There's like newborn and newborn. It's like I don't know those weeks are a blur and it's like oh my god We've got a baby. We've got a baby and it's like you just uh, You know and then all of a sudden you're like a month in and the kid feels sturdier You feel more confident you know, yep. and and you oh, you get used to being able to put the baby down, <laughs> <Yep>. right, <laughs> walk and away worrying. and yeah. do something, and then come back and the baby is right where you left them. It's like you can put a cup of coffee down, and then you could go do something, and when you come back, the cup of coffee is still there. Once the kid <laughs> starts rolling over, it is like whoa, whoa, whoa! What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> we yep. can never put this kid down. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so we have uh, this this product called Nanit, uh, which is like a newfangled baby monitor. So it's a it's a camera that overlooks the entire crib, so you can get a bird's eye view of the whole crib, and gotcha. it runs all night. And it's and it actually you know it has iPhone and iPad apps. So yep. we basically have a, an iPad that sits at the the uh, the bedside, so we can sort of monitor and just when you know I'll jolt up at four a.m. and wonder like <laughs> how's Maisie doing, and then I'll just look on the monitor and I can see. And but what's really funny about that is now with her rolling and, and just moving around i mean she does at least i would say three full turns a night just like <laughs> it's not even clear how she does it with you know given her length and sort of the, right. the size of the sides of the crib but it's like she's she's like a clock moving around she's the like thing
1: curly from the three stooges down there on the ground <laughs> going around exactly
0: around. yeah that's exactly right wow. um yeah so it's it's funny to watch though yeah
1: the next one coming up and then and then it, it to me it's just the biggest landmark is the first day you come in and she's standing up in the crib <laughs> yeah uh, uh yeah. yeah because yeah. the thing about it is it's like you think well you're going to be blown you 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 and your partner are going to be blown away the parents are going to be like whoa you know the baby standing up but the thing with at least with Jonas was he was like yeah look at me look at me i got something now i've got something yeah, yeah. he's just giving us this look like i've got a super game has changed yeah <laughs> yeah Oh, i'm very happy for you thank you thank you very much. i i I don't know what you want to get started with, but I was going to start with Apple and the original content stuff. And I yep. thought you, you've you had a lot to say about it uh, since their event. You know, I missed that event. Yeah, uh, I was going
0: to ask you. I didn't I, – it seemed like you didn't – That was. is that one of the only ones you've ever missed then?
1: I missed – since I started getting press invitations around 26, 2006 or so – uh, maybe 2005, like with Macworlds, uh, I've missed two. I had, uh, I had eye surgery a couple years ago, like 2014 and couldn't, was not allowed to fly. Uh, mm-hmm. and then this last one I missed cause we had a longstanding vacation for my son's spring break that I didn't want to miss.
0: Got it. Um, um, so that's interesting. So like me and I, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been to one in a while. I used to go, so, you know, there's this whole interesting dynamic with, uh, obviously the place I have worked for the past six years now has been GV, which is Google ventures. So Google's our only LP. And I think the Google Apple relationship these days is, is a lot better than it was. But, um, uh, there was a time there where I was still working, uh, in the earlier days at GV and I was still going to the Apple events, but right. Those sort of invites uh, dwindled over the years. Um, and also, of course, I have a day-to-day job. And so right. the mo- the Monday morning uh, uh, event is not very conducive to the Monday morning VC partner meeting. Um, mm. But uh, so I haven't been to one in, I don't know, like three or four years in person. I watch them all when they're live stream. And I think they're all live stream these days, yeah. right? So yeah. um, I don't watch them some, often in real time, but I'll watch the, uh, you know, the after, the after, play it afterwards. And um, so I've seen them all. But yeah, it's been a long time since I've been in the room. So uh, interesting that we'll have the same perspective, uh, being from afar.
1: Yeah, and I wonder how different that would be, uh, especially for this w- last this last event, which I thought was so strange. Yes, <laughs> very deliberately strange. so. Like I don't think yep. they messed up, and and it was strange. I think they plotted out a very unusual event. Um, do you watch? Yeah. The, do you watch the Game of Thrones? Yeah. Oh, yes. So I'm a Game of Thrones watcher, and, and I'm just. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything. So anybody out there who's either <laughs> yeah. he's either got it queued up or hasn't watched yet, it's I've it, already
0: it, said a f- couple things online, and people are so, like, you know, I tweeted out a gif, and like people are so pissed. <laughs>
1: yeah. well, you got to be careful, you know. I mean, because you, you know, uh, I know, uh, I know. But I know. but the one thing that hit me watching it this week. And, you know, there, it, for those of you who don't know, and I can't even believe how that is possible, Game of Thrones is this incredibly popular show on HBO. It's in its eighth and final season. I think that there's only six episodes this season. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, six. And that was the thir- uh, this week's was the third. So right. we're halfway through. So we're halfway
1: through. So there's only three episodes left of this incredibly long running epic tale with literally uh, 50, 60 characters, maybe more uh yeah. like somebody who runs like the game of thrones wiki is like bursting or laughing right now 50 or 60 <laughs> right main characters i uh, mean yeah but the thing that really hit me was the I, I think hbo gets it right hbo still releases this show the good old-fashioned way where yeah. sunday at nine o'clock p.m your local time it hits hbo and if you're streaming it I, I don't know if they how they do that like do they just go by your time zone like if you're in california and you've got like no, HBO. so it
0: it goes up at East Coast nine p.m. East Coast time, so six okay. p.m. on the so West Coast. So you can Coast. watch it at
1: six o'clock. Yep. All right. I yep. think I remember that from The Sopranos. I was I happened to be in California for some probably an Apple event when The Sopranos finale went on, and I now that you mention it, I think we did watch it like six. I mean, uh,
0: could you imagine if they didn't do that with social media and everything? Like, yeah, people would be up right. in arms. Yeah, yeah I think right. they they have to do that. Yeah, yeah
1: it's like a sporting event, right? Uh, as opposed to Netflix, which has. When they, you know, like a new season of stranger things comes out, it is just like, boom, here's 10 episodes of stranger things. If you'd like to watch them all in a row, go ahead, you know, make, make some coffee. I like the HBO way better so it's interesting I, I, I wrote a
0: post about this probably a few years ago at this point already because I was thinking about the exact same thing and I was thinking about it actually in the context of Stranger Things which is you know a Netflix show of course it's I think coming back for its third season this year and I think it was after season one it became you know like a phenomenon and the weird thing about it was the weird thing about all Netflix shows that they dumped them all at once dating back to House of Cards right when it was right. very when it was a completely new approach to do right. this but with these sort of these cultural phenomenon things that take over over like Stranger Things, um, it's fascinating because when they're dumped all at once, the water cooler effect is very different um, mm-hmm. because there is no episode by episode talking about it. I mean, there is, but it's not coordinated or synced. Because everyone's in a different place, right? Depending on how fast they're watching it. And so it almost I agree with you for a good uh, portion of shows. Again, these ones that are sort of these cultural moments. I think that it sort of is almost behooves them. To do the Netflix or sorry the HBO model where you release them at a regular cadence um, just to build up anticipation and again to be able to talk about them with other people in real time uh, and all be sort of coordinated around the same thing versus trying to talk about you know sixty hours of content in one fell swoop right. is is impossible
1: right and uh, House of Cards well I would say Stranger Things too they're they're both classic uh, serial melodrama. You know, where, you know, dating back to the 1800s, when uh, Dickens would be writing his, you know, what we now think of as his novels, they were all published serially chapter by chapter in, I don't know if they were magazines or newspapers, but, you know, but you'd, you'd read, you know, the next chapter of A Tale of Two Cities, and it would end with some kind of cliffhanger. And then all of a sudden, you're there, you know, your fists in anger. (laughs) Yep. Get me next week's issue (laughs) of this thing. Uh, it, it's no different, you know, than, than, you know, certain famous episodes of House of Cards where, where crazy things happen at the very end of the episode. Stranger Things, certainly, you know, there's, you can see it that you're, you're not meant to start the next episode. You're meant to, you're meant to absorb that bizarre totally. ending. I, I
0: totally agree with you, and right, especially for these cliffhanger endings. It's like if you can go on to the next one, what is the point of the cliffhanger? Um, Either cliffhanger or like big shocking reveal. Yes, you know? totally, totally. Like, and so oh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked. And I think there's already been rumors of this. Maybe they even talked about like some of the upcoming shows may you know, go back to that model. I mean, I know Netflix in the past has said that they don't want to do that, but sort of like they don't want to release, you know, movies in theaters, and now they have to do that for Academy Award reasons, right? Right. I feel like I I would be surprised if they didn't eventually sort of cave to the creators in this regard and be like, if a creator just really wants to have that type of experience for their audience, like, why not allow them to do that? I I think that that's a no-brainer. And then, you know, once it's out there in the world, then you can stream it. And, like, so people watch it out. the fact and stream them all at once but if you're watching in real time just do it at a regular cadence release them
1: and it really seems to me i mean part of it is that i enjoy the anticipation yep i like that you know it's the same way of like being a sports fan like it's neat like when your team gets in the playoffs and you know when the next game is you know yep it's neat to have that looking it's like something to look forward to all week long i like the idea that come sunday i've got the next episode of game of thrones and
0: I totally agree, and it also it 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 allows those individual episodes to sort of stand on their own more. They're not cheapened because you know you're just like an onslaught, and you won't remember everything. There's also like the added benefit of just being able to talk about it for a week, right? Like those – some of the things that I love now are, uh, you know, The Ringer does their after show for uh, Game of Thrones. They've been doing it for a while. They used to Mm. do it on HBO itself and now they do it on Twitter actually. Um, I think it's Talk the Thrones. And um, right after it ends, they get on, they just go on Periscope or whatever and just it's a roundtable discussion and it's like those things are great and you cannot do that when you just dump all the content at once.
1: Right. It is – you know, we're losing – Collectively, our shared experiences, you know, like, you know, I mean, but I'm not this is not a genius observation. Everybody talks about this, but the fact that, you know, TV used to be entirely there was no streaming in the old days and, and every, there was no TiVo. There were no DVRs. Everybody, everybody watched Happy Days at eight o'clock, You know, whether you liked it or not. Uh, but combine that, you know, like like the Internet is, is why we've lost a lot of that simultaneous viewing But when we do, we get to share it together, you know, with Twitter or whatever. Um, Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, And so... I feel like, because a lot of people are talking, you know, given the end of Game of Thrones now about this being the last one of these, right? That last sort of show, there will still be sports, of course, but the last show that's sort of this uh, come together moment for for multiple people, because so many people are watching it, Um, you know, tens of millions of people every single week are watching it at the same time, basically, and that will that ever happen again? And I do think like, I think that's a huge opportunity for something like Twitter, potentially Facebook, and some of the other uh, uh, social services, because there is this like you know there it's the the best example of sort of the second screen thing where and sports is another example of it where these things that are happening in real time and people want to talk about them it feels like they can be the glue that that sort of makes that happen but you
1: can't do that if everyone's not watching it at the same time yeah so uh I, I, here's just a funny example. So the Sixers, I, I'm I'm kind of falling in love with the Sixers. I, I've been out of the NBA for a number of years, uh, other than as a casual fan. But I'm, I'm, yeah. I am want to have, you know, this is, that's my home team. I like yep. the Sixers. I like these guys. I like the weird, it, it's a weird team, just in terms of how they're put together. Yep. Um, and they're playing last night, uh, up in Toronto, down one right. game to no, and they're the Sixers are blowing a lead. It, it, not blowing it, but the the Toronto hit a couple of three pointers and the Sixers missed a couple of shots, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, a comfortable nine point lead was down to three. And right, they fouled. There's three point eight seconds left. Sixers only have a three point lead, and our power went out. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I was just like, "What the hell just happened?" I, I our, and we've lived at this place now for two years. Power has never gone out. There was no, there were no storms in the area. It wasn't. Yeah. It was actually a very nice night. I was like, I guess the power's out. And then uh, I went outside. We have like a townhouse, so we have a whole bunch of neighbors. And I yeah. go out, and every single guy, every single man who lives on our block was out there. And everybody's like, what happened to the Sixers? What happened to the Sixers? Oh, man. And if somebody had it on their phone. They're like, Sixers won. They won by four or something like that. And we're like, all right, what the hell's, what the heck's going on with the power? like That's the first amazing. thing we all asked was what happened with the Sixers. And I thought, you know, this is kind of funny. Like I would be doing this on Twitter, but I wouldn't be doing it with my neighbors, but it was just kind of a nice moment. Have a little neighborly friendship there and everybody was I like that. <laughs> yeah. A good, a good bad thing. Um
0: right. it's sort of this also reminds me of something else I've I've sort of been thinking about and and, and wrote about recently where so in a world where we're moving away from this, um Imagine if there's a way – and so a lot of people – I haven't seen it yet, but a lot of people obviously are talking about the new Avengers movie, right? Mm. Obviously it's hard to see movies with babies, but um, I'm still getting used to that. Um, But – so I think we're going to try to go this weekend. But anyway, uh, so I can't spoil anything for anyone. But everyone's talking about the – resurrection of the movie theater right after Mm -hmm. years and years of declines and and now it made over 300 350 million i think at the u.s box office right over the weekend Mm -hmm. and well over a billion dollars worldwide so it's like the resurrection of the movie theater and i think this ties into what we're talking about because um i had been thinking about what if they did Game of Thrones the last season they just released it at least to start um, at least for you know maybe on a Thursday night before the Sunday premiere on HBO if they just released it in theaters nationwide Mm. like how much money could HBO have made you know from their perspective but also what a cool like cultural you know experience again right you get to go to a movie theater and watch this very cinematic show on a giant screen with hundreds of other people around you and people are cheering and popcorn and and all that all the Great things about sort of the old school movie going experience, um, you know, can be uh, brought back to life um, by things that are this this big and this culturally culture culturally
1: relevant. It feels yeah. like it would be something. Uh, one of my favorite stories about the 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 group cinematic experience is uh, you're a movie fan. I bet you've seen it. Yeah. Have you, you Raging Bull, yeah. So Raging Bull is Martin Scorsese's 1980 boxing movie about uh what was his name ray 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 lamoda tragic movie overall tragic tale of a man who's sort of a broken man a bad man really uh but it's a very sad movie mostly first time i ever watched it i was by myself in college i had a job interview in uh, like virginia and so the company flew me down and uh put me up in a hotel and i had an interview the next day and i had nothing to do i was like 19 had nothing to do um and put on hbo and i looked at it and it said like uh raging bull was coming up i was like i've never seen that i'll watch that and i watched mm-hmm. it all by myself lonesome <laughs> hotel room <laughs>
0: very depressing black yeah. and white and Yeah, i was yeah. just it
1: i was into it I, I i i would say i enjoyed the movie but i didn't enjoy the experience i really <laughs> felt pretty low <laughs> afterwards yeah yeah and then i've watched it a, a couple of times after that, in the intervening years in college, you know, it's just as a huge Scorsese fan. But then at one point in the mid 90s, I think it might have still been in college, but maybe later in the 90s, Roger Ebert came to Philadelphia and was hosting. He did. He was hosting a screening of Raging Bull. It might have yeah. been like the 25th anniversary or, or 15th anniversary or something. And he didn't do the thing that he sometimes did where he would allow people to say stop and then stop the movie and then have like a discussion about what's going on. That We just watched it straight through and then we had a a discussion led by Roger Ebert after the movie. Uh And it was packed. It's a really nice theater over at Penn, uh, sort of like a lecture hall style thing. It was a great picture, great sound. Here's the thing that blew me away. Raging Bull is hilarious. It is – there are scenes that are so funny – I mean, just like, but never, like, three, four times I watched it before that, never laughed once because I wasn't in a theater <laughs> full of people, right? Yep. It's like one yep. of the scenes where uh, Pesci, Joe is having family, uh, some kind of family meal, and his kid's screwing around with the spaghetti or something. It's hilarious. <laughs> but you would never know it if you're not in a room full of people. It's the shared experience is different than the, the, the solo experience.
0: Yeah, and I and I totally agree. And, you know, these, the, yeah, you get sort of different social cues just in yeah. a vibe, right, of being yeah. in a being in that type of experience. And I do feel like all the the Hollywood has a bunch of issues, and we can talk about them in relation to Apple. But um, I think that there's a way to sort of to utilize what is great Mm -hmm. about the theaters, uh, in our new fangled era. Uh, and I think we're getting close to it, but we're not quite there yet. Um, and maybe the Avengers, like the fact that, that it's so big, maybe it tips it over into figuring out how to better utilize these shared spaces to do content like this.
1: Uh, my, my Avenger story, I'm going to break your heart here, Uh newborn dad, it's the first Avengers movie that I didn't go see with my son because he went. He wanted to go with his friends.
0: Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> that will be extremely sad. I mean, I'm I'm gearing up for all the fun stuff that we're going to get to do in the next you know many years. But all the Disney movies, right, the Pixar movies, Harry Potter, all that kind of fun stuff is uh, is what I'm greatly looking forward to. Uh, and then I know that uh, I, at one point it'll get to to the point you're at.
1: I I'm telling you the truth, MG. I, I choked up because he. He he's such a good kid and I, he knew, you know, he knew that it's a thing that we had and I was already planning on getting tickets for us. And he didn't ask if he could go. Uh-oh. What he did is he texted me and just said, hey, some of my friends are getting tickets to go see the Avengers. On Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I yeah. immediately just wrote, go, you know, exclamation yeah, yeah. mark. And I went up and said, hey, you know, you need help ordering, you know, you know, do you want my credit card? What do you need to do? You know, and I was like, just go. You know, I was like, do not worry about me. But then I went downstairs and had a sob. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: Okay. Well, that's good. That's a good note (laughs) for me to
1: remember. eh? Number one, I mean, and Jonas Jonas has always been, uh, he's a gentle kid. He really is. He always was. He was never like a rough and tumble kid. And so we let him watch movies that a lot of other parents wouldn't let watch movies at a pretty young age. And yeah. I don't, you know, he, it wasn't like we were pushing him on him. I just think he was fine. I think other parents, you know, other parenting styles, I, I pass no judgment, but Jonas watched movies like Star Wars and stuff starting at like the age of three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was in kindergarten. He'd already seen Iron Man. Uh, and I went and I told him that he had a dentist appointment in the afternoon. So he I'd be picking him up at lunch mm-hmm. and I went to get him at lunch and I said, we're not going to the dentist. I got tickets for, <laughs> I got tickets for Iron Man 2. Oh, that is awesome. And he just looked at me like, really? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. And we, we went to see Iron Man 2. And I didn't, I'm not like, I've never been a prankster parent. I've never been, you know, and, and like, uh, I was telling a uh, friend of the show, John Moltz, about this, and he was like, well, that's better than the opposite, the type of parent who says, hey, we're going to see Iron Man, and then they tend <laughs> to get, get a, to the dentist. A root canal. <laughs> right. <laughs> that <laughs> is awesome. I've never been the jokey parent. I just didn't trust him to have a good poker face with the teacher. Cause I kind of didn't want to be the dad who the teacher knew was taking the kids to, yep, to yep. see Iron oh, Man funny. on a Friday afternoon. That's
0: amazing. I am totally stealing that. Uh, hopefully Maisie's not listening to this in, <laughs> in six years or something. Uh, and yeah, I'll be able to surprise her
1: <laughs> parenting tips from John Gruber. Uh, all right, let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. They're back from last week. Things, one of my very favorite apps last week. I told you a lot about their Mac app. This week I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about their iOS app. But look, Things is a longstanding, multi-time Apple design award-winning, basically a to-do app, task manager, something to organize everything from like a shopping list to bigger projects. Beautifully designed, has always been beautiful, with truly native apps for the Mac, iPhone, iPad. They have a great Apple Watch app. Simple to use, has lots and lots of power. And this power extends to their iOS apps in a big way. You know that feeling? Where you want to accomplish something, you got something to do, but you think, I'll just wait till I get back to my Mac. I do this all the time with a lot of things. We could turn this whole show into that. Well, that's something that things wanted to address, and they really went deep on how they can reduce that friction on iPhone and iPad and make you just do it right, be able to do it right there. And so their apps are full of clever solutions to help you achieve this, but they want me to tell you about just two. The first is the magic plus button. This is brilliant. I never would have thought of this. I think it's super clever. All right, Something you do all the time in list apps of any kind, any kind of app where you make lists, you insert new items, but you want to put them at a certain spot. In most apps, it's really cumbersome. You do the plus button, you enter your your to-do item text, and then it's all the way at the top, right? But you want it somewhere else. So then you have to tap an edit button, and then there's like a little drag handle that shows up, and then you can drag it down to where you want it to be. What a pain. In things, you can drag the plus button itself to where you want your to-do to go. So you just go to the plus button, drag it down into the list, and let go when it's at the right spot. Type your to-do. Boom, you're done, and it's in the right spot. Brilliant. What a great shortcut. Here's the other thing they have. Full keyboard control on the iPad. So if you use your iPad with an external keyboard, you know that most apps don't have great keyboard support. That's from things a little read for me. I would say that is an understatement, uh, to say the least. Things is incredible in this regard. They've got loads of shortcuts for creating to-dos, setting dates, adding tags, filters, and so on. You can list all the commands. Now, this is something system-wide on on the iPad. You just hold down the command key, and you wait a little bit, and you get a little HUD display that tells you all the available keyboard shortcuts, which is a really great idea system-wide, but it's not that great if you don't have a lot of shortcuts. Well, Things does. You can learn them very easily. Just hold down the command key. All of this stuff is accessible from the keyboard and you can use your arrow keys to select items. You shift all the stuff that works on the Mac. It all works on things on the iPad. You shift with the arrow keys to select multiple items. You can move items up and down in the list all by the keyboard. It's great. Even their popovers are fully accessible from the keyboard. There's a really cool feature called type travel. You simply start typing where you want to go, like the name of a project or an area or another list, and you're automatically just taken there just by typing the name of it. It's amazing how much you can do in things without even lifting your hand off the keyboard, which is a huge deal. Once you've got your iPad propped up and you've got a hardware keyboard connected, it is seriously a very, very powerful peer to the Mac app on the iPad. I wish more iPad apps would take, take this sort of keyboard support as seriously as Things does. Uh, so those are just two examples of how Things de- delivers a powerful experience on iOS, and there's so much more. Head over to thingsapp.com. And you can get things for iOS, try it for yourself. And you can also download a free trial for the Mac at thingsapp.com. Check it out today. One of my favorite apps. I use it every day. I really do. All right. So w- let's go back to Apple in this. What do you think Apple's going to do on this front? And do you think Apple's going to go HBO style and release shows once a week? Or do you think they're going to go Netflix style and dump them?
0: I would guess that they do more HBO style. Um I don't know why exactly I feel that way other than I think that's what they should do. Right. I think given what we know now or what we think we know what they're trying to do, right? There's obviously a lot still to be determined, including price and, and a bunch of other key, uh, key things, but. It does seem like it's less – and people have been saying this, right, that it's less of a Netflix competitor and more of an HBO-type play and also yeah. more of an Amazon-type play, right, where it's like right. the the channel bundling on top of everything. And so given all of that, I do think that the HBO model makes a lot more sense. Do you yeah.
1: think so too? I do too. And I know – I'm sure that there are some people out there who love the Netflix style. They love the dump and they're going to say, well, John, if you want to watch it once a week, just – Pick a time, pick your favorite day of the week and watch one episode of Stranger right. Things, you know, dole them out yourself one one episode at a week. It doesn't. But that's part of the experience isn't just me watching once a week. It's like what we've, you and I have been talking about here. It's this collective experience and, and a shared, you know, give it a day or two for people to catch up and you can start reading you know, stuff on Twitter or the recaps and stuff like that. Yep. See what people think is going on. Um,
0: I also think it gives them a nice uh, leverage point of if they do, if they are, in fact, it seems like they're doing, you know, the upsell of the of the other channels. If you do it this way, you're basically giving people uh, an avenue to come into the app every single week, right, to to catch up with the show. And then afterwards, they have to watch something else or they're likely going to. You know, some right. people, of course, won't, but, but a lot of people will. And uh, because they can't watch that very next episode of what they were just watching, maybe they'll poke around and be like, oh, right. yeah, we should watch what's next on uh, Showtime.
1: Right. or Or – check out one of these other shows on Apple TV or whatever. Exactly. But yeah, if you could definitely, if they, if, if the, if they can steer you towards, you know, uh, I forget if CBS is uh, already signed up for the TV app, but you know, maybe check out the star Trek that you haven't, haven't watched yet or something like that. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I just feel to me that the Netflix style is, it's almost tragic, you know, that they make these wonderful shows and don't give them the space to breathe.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you run across it, too. It's like Megan and I, like every time we sit down to watch something, uh, if we don't have something in mind, it's just like we're going through the Netflix app and it's like, I mean, I can't believe that this person's in this thing. Like, I've never even heard of this. Like, can't believe this person's in this thing and I've never heard of this. It, there's yeah. so many, so many things. And it really – I mean, it's like – it's not only the, you know, sort of the abundance of choice problem. It's like that to to such an extreme that yeah. I don't know – I don't even know, like, what the end game is of that, right? Like, do they get so good at the algorithms to recommend to you that it doesn't matter? And so, like, they have people to watch all of these things. It seems like they I, – I just feel like that's untenable. Like, at some point, we're going to hit a limit of how many shows they can actually have.
1: Yeah. It, like, I wrote the other day uh, writing about this. I, I described Netflix's catalog as effectively infinite. And I didn't yeah. expound on that, but – I don't think I need to, right? Like, I, I, I think even if you were independently wealthy or retired and it could literally just wake up and start watching Netflix and then go to bed and wake up and watch Netflix, you'll never catch up. Like, no. You'll, 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 you'll be further so. behind once you, you know, by day one, you'll be further behind than you were when you started.
0: Yeah. And I sort of wonder if, I guess the so eventually all of the players are you would presume most of them are going to pull their content right like right. friends they just re-signed but it was a massive deal right. and disney is pulling all their content as we know to do disney plus and so eventually it's just not going to be tenable to have all of these other bits of content and it's all going to be netflix content and what are they doing right now they're building up a library of content the world has never seen before uh the size of which the world has never seen before and so yeah. uh it won't matter so much if all these people pull off their Content because you have so much else that you couldn't possibly watch.
1: Yeah, it's in in some ways I really feel like uh, like anything successful, like you know HBO. It is sort of like Showtime, but it's different. I mean, it's the same basic idea. It's it started life as a cable channel that you have to pay extra money to, and they have a bunch of real theatrical movies available at any given time, and sometimes they have boxing and. You know, but have you know in recent years have really made a name by their original content and, but HBO is HBO, right? They've sort of made their own brand. Netflix even more so because they're undefined by any previous tie to to real quote unquote real TV. Yep. It, it's its own thing. Like it's it's not that useful to me. I don't think it'll in the long run to compare Apple TV Plus to Netflix or. And Netflix is just, it's just bizarre. But if you're going to compare it to anything, I almost feel like the only thing you can compare it to is YouTube and YouTube content is very different than yep. Netflix content. But, but the thing that's unique about those two is that they are literally infinite content yep. wells and they promote, you know, they, they try to get you to just keep going, right? You get to the end of a video, but their guesses are pretty good. Usually, you know, the little things on the right on YouTube are usually pretty appealing to me. Uh, after I've watched something,
0: yeah, that's that's a good way to frame it. I, I, it, it, they are both similar in the infinite content. You almost feel like, do we do we get to a state of equilibrium? Because we, I think we all agree that everyone's going to have a subset of these, right? So ev- right. everyone already has YouTube because it's free. There's, the, there's obviously the YouTube red stuff, but just say you have YouTube because it's free. Everyone has Netflix, of course, because you basically need to these days. A lot of people, probably the majority of people, are going to get Disney Plus. Apple TV Plus would probably be a smaller subset, not too dissimilar to how HBO is a smaller subset. Um, But then I wonder, like, is there a mechanism between the types of content and or the stars of these things that they move between them sort of fluidly? Right. So someone might break their career on YouTube and then get a Netflix show and or then get. uh, And then if their Netflix show works, do they go to the prestige show of HBO and or Apple TV Plus type thing does it does it sort of play out that way? I think Netflix would not like that. YouTube certainly wouldn't like that. But it almost feels like that's that's a ladder you can you can sort of see forming.
1: Yeah, I've seen a, a very frequently asked question for me in the last month is, or at least uh, maybe it's weeks because I forget when Disney unveiled Disney Plus, but mm-hmm. post Disney Plus announcement. And the first time I got the question, I thought it was so. I, I see the appeal from a consumer's perspective, but I it seems so outlandish from Disney's perspective that I can't believe anybody would ask. But I've since been asked it at least half a dozen times: Is do I think Disney and Apple work out some kind of deal where you can pay ten bucks a month and get Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus? Yeah, and the consumer angle is uh, is obvious. It's subscription fatigue, yeah. and and both both just from the purely rational perspective of wanting to minimize your monthly subscription expenditure and the, uh, more subjective sense of just the sense of feeling like you're getting nickel and dimed. Yep. Uh, so I see the appeal of that, but I don't see why Disney would ever go for that at a sum of money, you know, at, at, at 699 for the regular subscription, they're already being super aggressive. Like... Yeah, they're not going to cut into that with by partnering with Apple. They don't need to.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could argue because Bob Iger's obviously still on the board of Apple and that was right. brought up recently mm-hmm. as like, is that a conflict? And he right. still says no and we'll see if that how that plays out as, as things
1: move forward. But <laughs> I think... <'Cause> that's <laughs> what, they I, used to, that's I, what they used to say about to Eric Schmidt
0: and Google. Right. Uh, and so uh, I have a feeling that will play out maybe in a similar way, though who knows because Bob Iger's set to retire right at some right. point in the next couple of years if he doesn't extend again, which seems yeah. like he's not. But <laughs> anyway, um, the subscription fatigue thing is interesting. I do think that a bunch of them will end up partnering. So like we've already seen this in, in cross-content Poll- pollinization with um, like Spotify teams up with Hulu, right? To do yeah. like sort of a package offering. And so c- would we see that between bundles? Obviously D- Disney's going to do their own bundle with Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, and then Hulu. Um, but do they yeah, cross-pollinate and have different different offerings? I think no. I, and again, I think from Apple's perspective they want to try what the, the Amazon model has been of, of just upselling the channels and maybe they sell them at a, at a different Rate or a discount mm-hmm. and maybe there's been some whispers right that they can figure out a way to bundle some of those together to create their own like newfangled like hbo plus stars or something like mm-hmm. that maybe there is something to that but i don't think yeah that that disney and uh and apple tv plus disney plus and apple tv plus will bundle together unless one of them just isn't working or both of them are not working and they need a way to uh you know to sort of um change the uh, this, the sales equation
1: yeah I still think – I had Peter Kafka on a couple of weeks ago to talk about this stuff, and he he remains – not convinced, but his his bet is still on Apple releasing Apple TV Plus free, that it they're so, not yeah, going to charge. So, yeah, I was charge... listening
0: to that, and I would love – yeah, I know your perspective is different on this, and mine is too. I don't think – I think there's no way they do it for free. I think that they have some parts of it that might be free. Right. Um like one show, um, but given the whole narrative right now is around services, I think mm-hmm. it would it would just undercut their their argument that they 're trying to make to wall street and right. and everyone else that they 're a services company now if they just release this for free, like yes, it would be good lead gen to to do this this um, channel selling model, which is maybe the real money maker. But I don't. I just. I, I don't think that that's what they're going to do. I think that it's going to be uh, definitely a paid offering, and I think that they'll have their own bundle, which they will be. You know, there's sort of one more thing when they talk about it further in the fall that they'll have yep. iCloud mixed with this, mixed with some other things to be able to bundle together.
1: Right. It's like it is. It's I'm not complaining because it is fantastic grist for a podcaster and a commentator on the company that they had this announcement where they brought out all these stars and then never told us if they're going to pay charge for it or if <laughs> right. they are what. So right. I, in a sense, I'm not complaining because this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get hours out of this all so oh, long. Yeah. This is great. I can see it either way, and then I kind of feel like like Peter had me convinced, like, yeah, they're just going to release this for free to get people in the boat. And it, his right. basic idea isn't that Apple is uh, magnanimously going to make Apple TV Plus free of charge. His theory is where they want – the only place where they want to make money in TV is selling the other subscriptions with their 15% cut. Right. So right. get get you in the Apple TV app by selling you on the Jennifer Aniston morning show. Right. And you find out it, all your friends are talking about that show. And so you go and watch it and then you're you're in the app and you're a button click or two. And, you know, if you have an Apple TV, a couple of awkward swipes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're a button or two from signing up for other, those channels as they call them. Uh right. and then you're on the hook for recurring revenue. Cause now you're paying through your iTunes account. You're paying a uh, 10 or 15 or $20 a month to get ESPN and, and Hulu and whatever other channels you've decided you want to, you know, CBS interactive, whatever the CBS thing is called, which, right. I keep procrast I want to watch that Star Trek show and I keep procrastinating on it cuz I'm waiting for this TV app to do it so I don't have to manage a different account. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm I'm 100% with you there too. Um what if they did something like if you bought the Apple TV for $200 it, this is baked in for a year if mm. you're but if you're going to cuz we already know this this app is going to uh, you know exist on Samsung TVs mm-hmm. and and Roku and a bunch of other Sony and Amazon.
1: Too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what if then it's a paid... Thing? Because, like, how could they do that? I mean, you could say that they could do that for free because it's still trying to do the, the channel's upsell, but that seems a lot more murky. Um, I don't think that they're going to do it for free across the board. I could see a world in which they... Uh, release it in a way that sort of appears to be free because it's baked into if you buy Apple TV hardware, maybe the iPad, maybe they have some sort of deal on it, maybe right. you get six months free or something like that. Right. But I also just think from the the other perspective, like the creators' perspective, I think they think that they're making you know very prestigious programming, and right. I don't think that they want to be tied to sort of a free offering necessarily, um, right. knowing that the end game of that is is probably not not a good. Uh, a a good outcome ultimately if apple ever decides they're not going to pay um you know all the money to them um off uh, just out of their their pockets
1: yeah i don't know you know and and surely uh, there is going to be I say this, because, but Apple often surprises us these days and doesn't do the obvious thing. Well, one thing I will just say is that Peter had me convinced that maybe they'll just give it away. And then I, like, uh, the next morning woke up and I was just like, that can't be, for all the reasons That's you just Apple. said. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> right. then I thought, well, what's what's the most obvious Apple thing to do? And I thought, well, the most obvious Apple thing to do would, would be to charge way more than anybody thinks. <laughs> right. Like, charge yeah. charge enough per month that there will be, like gasps in the audience
0: and it feels premium then and like you know there's trickle down effects of this even if they don't I mean, even if the model is ultimately what Peter's saying, and I agree with that, that it is like likely to upsell these subscriptions for the channels, and it's the same thing that Amazon does. The difference is Amazon gets away with, with it being sort of quote-unquote free if you have Prime, which everyone does, right? Right, right? Apple doesn't have the equivalent of that. So the only way right. I could see that working is if they, they baked in – you know, the, eventually when they have their Apple Prime thing, this is one subset of that. And so yeah. it's sort of considered free even though it's baked into that. Right, um, right. Maybe something like that.
1: Yeah. That's what I think is. I think that what Apple needs is their equivalent of prime where you, to, you know, to get everybody paying a greater than $10 a month monthly fee, but less than 10 plus 10 plus 10 to get the news and to get the arcade and to get the TV and of course to get music, you know, the original, uh, Apple media service, right. Uh, so, you know, if you had music, news, arcade, they didn't give a price for arcade either, but I'm guessing that right. might be as it's, if it's the only thing you sign up for, I'm going to guess $10 a month. And if TV's is $10 a month, now you're up at 40 bucks a month. And yep. if they sold the whole thing for $25 a month. Yeah. Great deal. Yep. And you got all of them, you got all four of them. All of a sudden it feels like a good deal, right? Yep. That feels like a really good deal. Um, and maybe uh, you can mix and match. I don't know. But, you know, if you could just, like, if you really don't want the news or you don't play games, you don't want the arcade, you just want TV and music. If you could get it for less than 20 if you could just pay 15 or something like that, that might be, uh, I don't know, that might be a way yeah, around. I, it.
0: I could totally see that happening. Right. Right. I'll give uh, one other quick argument on uh, of what Peter's trying to argue for that I could see. Is okay. So I was actually just reading an interview with with Oprah. I think it was in the Hollywood Reporter today. Um, talk, she talked a little bit about app, Apple. It's it's mostly other stuff, but um, a little bit in there. But it was interesting to me because she reiterates what, of course, she famously said on stage: "The billion pockets, y'all." She sort of uh, <laughs> sort of uh, you know uh, talks about that a little bit again. And the way that she talks about it is that basically, why she's so excited to work with Apple is because they open up a an audience that is unparalleled in size because of the device reach, right? And right. so... You could see a world in which Apple is selling to Hollywood that exact thing, and I'm sure they are, right? That that's the main selling point, that we have a billion devices out, a billion plus devices out there, and you can access all of them. And so if they're trying to say that reach is the most important thing, of course, free would be the the easiest way to get to that full reach. Um, And so that's really the only argument I could see uh, them making for doing it as a free service. If they're saying... Hey, so this thing is going to be free, um, but we're going to launch it to a billion-plus users um, or several hundred million users, and you're going to have access like you've never had before to eyeballs. Um, But still, I think that that is a short-term gain for sort of long-term pain for anyone who's thinking savvy enough about it.
1: Yeah, and my dream, and I've— I've been so beaten down by the five gigabyte free tier of iTunes that I no longer longer have any vim and vigor when arguing about it. But my dream would be if they slipped iCloud in there, too, into this Prime thing and sign up for this stuff that you think is fun, like listening to unlimited music and watching cool TV shows, and you'll get an upgrade to your storage tier in iTunes, and you'll be able to have all of your photos backed up. In the yeah. cloud, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, like yeah. a good, healthy thing that nobody really, nobody really feels like it's a fun way to spend two ninety nine a month to get an upgrade yeah. to, <laughs> to iCloud.
0: But uh, it sure like would that. be great.
1: And Apple is the, the unique structure of Apple where they don't have financial silos. You know, yep. where, where, where there's nobody. It, it, who's in charge of iCloud, who's going to be mad because it's, it was his independent, his or her independent fiefdom. In fact, it's the same yep. guy. It's Eddie Q, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so like, Eddie, make this happen,
0: right? Yeah, like, they are you know, uniquely positioned to do that. You're totally right. Uh, and you could even see them like hearkening back to the, you know, the old school, like iLife suites, you know, like where right. they, they bundle things together and offer it in like an experience mode, not so much like right. all these things individually. It's all about, yeah, having fun, like you say.
1: Yeah, so that would be. I I just feel like it would be a nice. It would make the overall experience of the typical user so much better, and just by having all of their photos in the cloud. And I I guess I I misspoke a couple episodes ago, and and like I, I I put forth the hypothetical theory of a person who's buying a new iPhone and they've got more than 5 gigabytes way more than 5 gigabytes of photos and videos mm-hmm. and I thought you know I think I put it in a way that made it sound like they were screwed um they're not if you go to the Apple store and you don't have a backup that has all of your stuff they all do it for you right there in the store through, you know, like a Mac or something and they'll get mm-hmm. your all of your stuff off your old phone, no matter how much it is, onto your new phone there in the store. But A, how many people do that? I mean, there must be millions and millions of people who have no idea that they could do that at the Apple store. Yeah. Um, and B, it doesn't solve the other problems that, like a, that backup solves. Like, if your phone uh, is lost or stolen or broken, you know, there's nothing you can do. Like, you're, you leave your phone in a cab and you got to go get a new iPhone. If you don't have a backup, you've just lost your photos. Like there's digital tragedies that happen every day that could be solved if everybody just had a wee bit more uh, iCloud.
0: And, you know, the ultimate extension of this is, of course, then including uh, sort of a a rolling iPhone subscription where you get a new device
1: every few years, right? Right. Which, you know, they've definitely been working on. But if they could coordinate all of this and just sort (laughs) of… get you in to a very Amazon Prime like you know here just give us just give us this money on a regular basis and we'll yep. we'll keep throwing tv shows at you we'll keep throwing new iPhones at you every 2 years how I mean, awesome
0: would that be if, like, you, they had a service that was so seamless that basically, you know, you you check a box, you say, "I want a new iPhone every year," or "I want one every other year," and when that time comes and when the launch date hits, you basically get a package in the mail wi- with your new iPhone with all of your data already on it um, because they just did sort of a, a quick, uh, you know, data transfer for you and told you basically, you know, stop using your iPhone after midnight tonight, and and tomorrow morning you're going to get a brand new one with all of your data uh sync from your iCloud account how great of an experience would that be
1: that would be pretty great i mean amazon does a great job with that like when you buy like a new kindle yeah, a kindle it, yeah it exactly. comes i just got the uh the latest and great i'm on like an every four years kindle cycle um, <laughs> yeah but it's nice because if you wait like four years you really get like a, the screens are, are you know the yeah, backlighting on the screen is way better um, Yeah. Uh, And I'm always impressed by that. But I kind of feel like part of that is scale that they don't, you know, the iPhone comes at such scale, they couldn't do it. But maybe if you had this nice subscription service, they could afford to do it even at their scale, it would be really, very, very nice, just to open the box and have it already have your stuff on it.
0: Um, yes, I think you were talking about that in, in a recent podcast, maybe even your last one where you talked about how good the, uh, the backup, um, service has gotten via iCloud versus uh, syncing on a, on a computer. Um, and it's funny because I almost feel like the opposite. Uh, so I just bought actually Megan a new, uh, iPhone basically to get the better, the best camera, you know, so I Mm bought her, um, with the XS uh, to be able to get the best uh, camera for taking pictures of the little one. And uh, she's so reluctant to install. It's just sitting in a box right now because she doesn't want to take the time right. to go through and do the new device sync thing. Right. And it, I agree, it is a lot better than it used to be, of course. You can do most of it over iCloud, and it is relatively fast. But there are just little things like mm-hmm. that they don't transfer every single password. And so there are some services that you have to log into again. Yep. And it's just like that... Uh, inhibiting factor stops, I think, people from, from doing upgrades, for sure.
1: Yeah, there's certain services that obviously I, I guess they're not storing their passwords in your keychain. Yep. Right. I would hope that they're not really storing your password at all, that they're s- Instead of using the keychain, they're using some kind of, you know, localized token that right. couldn't be reused. You know, uh, I really hope that the, that the apps that do this <laughs> are not just stored in a password on their own, like in your preferences file or something. <laughs> right. Uh, although you'd think that would transfer, but, uh, you know, but it, or, or, or they do, you know, for some reason, some of these apps and services seem to want to create a unique identifier based on you and your device. And so when you yep. go to a new device, you got to re-log in and then yeah you're right it's as good as it's gotten it still is a couple of weeks of pain and then there's always the ones that you forget about you know like i don't i don't use our nest app very frequently um but then it's like i'll just go you know like after like a month i have a new iphone i go to the nest app and it's like i'm back I, I, i don't even remember if nest is one but there's just those apps that you use like once a month and then it's just like always the worst moment
0: yeah, was right. You need to access – mine are the credit card apps. It's like I want to uh, I, I see if this payment went through. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It. And okay. it's like I log in. It's like, oh, my God, I forgot. I haven't installed it yet on the newest no.
1: phone, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, I know yeah. one. Uh, Uber. For some reason Uber doesn't just do it. And of course, the first yes, time you notice, right, right. Yes. the first time you notice is when you're trying to get an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> of course, right. Why else would you over the, open the Uber app? Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. right. And so it's like we're we're uh, 7 minutes away from our dinner reservation and I'm like
0: <laughs> And you have 7 minutes of of typing in a password to do.
1: Yeah, it. <laughs> and it's uh, confirming this and that. And it's like, "Oh my god, Jesus, there's probably like Ubers have just driven by my house already. I already missed them." <laughs> like Exactly. <laughs> All right, let me take another break here and thank our next sponsor. It's a good time to break. Uh, It's Linode. I love this company. Linode uh, lets you instantly deploy and manage SSD servers in the Linode cloud. I used to pronounce it Linode because that's what it looks like. But, of course, it's pronounced Linode because it's Linode like Linux. So me, big dummy who doesn't know how to pronounce things, blew that one the last time they sponsored the show. But it looks like Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E. Uh, you can get a server running in seconds with your choice of Linux distribution resources and a choice of 10 node locations around the world. They're very proud to announce their newest data center in beautiful Toronto, Canada. It's built using their most up to date hardware, their next generation network backbone. Linode Toronto allows users to comply with in-country data protection requirements while taking advantage of all Linode technology and tools. Very big, but that's a very big thing in today's modern world. Back in the early days, the internet didn't matter where your server was, but now we've got all these laws around the world, which is good, but it certainly uh, is it makes things tricky when you're setting stuff up. If you've got to have your stuff in Canada, now you can do it. Uh, it's a great service, it really is. I'm a paying customer. I wouldn't say that if 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 it weren't true Uh, it's nothing to do with them sponsoring the show i think they they are seriously the best hosting company out there today uh here's what you get you get a twenty dollar credit for all new customers just for coming from the show you can build it all on linode everything from a dedicated cpu distributed applications hosted services websites anything you need you can do it there everything uses ssd storage 40 gigabit network industry leading processors and again, you get to pick from 10 worldwide data centers where you want your stuff hosted. Uh, their next one, their 11th, is coming in Mumbai, India, by the end of this year. So when I say worldwide, I mean it. That is about as far away from East Coast U.S. as you can get. And you pay for what you use with hourly billing and plans and add-on services. You can deploy uh, your infrastructure effectively. If you need to burst, if you're expecting huge traffic, you can you can budget for that and, and have it burst Uh, They have a brand-new cloud manager with a hugely improved user interface at cloud.linode.com. They have their own API for doing all sorts of nerdy stuff with your server and an officially supported Python command-line interface, probably the most popular scripting language that you could do for something like that. And they're hiring. Go to linode.com slash careers if you're uh, the type of person who might be interested in working for a world-class hosting company. If you're a nerd, uh, uh, a sysadmin type looking for work, Go check out linocom careers. Probably a lot of you listening to this show. So again, you get a $20 credit when you use this promo code. Talkshow2019. No the, just talkshow2019. You get $20 credit. You can start with a $5 a month plan and get a fantastic server. Uh, really, really effective server for 5 bucks a month. With a $20 credit, you get four months free. Four months. So my thanks to them. Go to linocom slash the talk show. So the URL, this is tricky. You got to be smart. Linode.com slash the talk show as the URL to go to. But then when you check out, you want to get that $20 credit. It's talk show 2019. My thanks to Linode. In my opinion, the best hosting company in the world. I mean it. Anything else on the original content front?
0: So the only thing I was going to ask you for what you think about this, because like, I feel like no one's really had a good high level take, at least that I've read about it. But so obviously there's the famous thing, I think, in Walter Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs when he's on, uh, you know, unfortunately, of course, his deathbed uh, talking about that he finally cracked uh, cracked it, right, with regard to Apple television. And... It's pretty clear, I think, to anyone who's been watching this long enough, that what they're launching now is not what they actually intended to launch or what Steve Jobs Mm -hmm. was sort of referring to when he said they cracked it. Um, It seems more likely that that was sort of an interface uh, or or some sort of software mixed with the ability to to work with Hollywood to create sort of the perfect new package that would ultimately replace cable. And you could (laughs) argue that maybe it just wasn't the right time. You know, when, when, when that, uh, when, you know, when unfortunately he passed away in in 2010, right? So, uh, nine years ago already, it was, uh, just not the right time for that to happen. Um... And maybe now is with, uh, with our – just t- enough time has passed and, and obviously cables under immense pressure um, and just things are unbundling. And so maybe now is the right time. But it still seems like it's not exactly what Apple would have envisioned to do. And yeah. I think you could just see this by reading the reports over the years of Eddie Q meeting with so-and-so and so-and-so and, and Hollywood executives. And, and they're not agreeing to sign up for this thing. And you can even see it in the product that it looks like they're releasing. And I know you and I had a funny back and forth. that I think Kafka got, got involved too on Twitter. Whereas basically, like, uh, can you actually launch any of these uh, services, mm. like the Hulu service, right from within the TV app? And it seems like no. Instead, it kicks you out into it again, right? So it's not seamless at all.
1: No. Uh, I, all right. Let's. There's a lot to unpack there, and this is a good topic. All right. I think that the "I cracked it" line is. Uh, I, I think there was no there or there. I don't know what really? he was thinking. I, I he might have had an idea. There might have been something, but I don't think it, it, people have read into it like Fermat's Last Theorem. You know what I mean? Like it's just because <laughs> right. it's it, it, <laughs> we, we like to think that Steve Jobs and and maybe there are moments. There are moments in Apple and computing, personal computing history where he he probably did have uh, uh, eureka moments. Right? Of yep. he, he, he's got it. You know, do do something. Yep. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking of. It would be fascinating to someday get exactly what was it. Was it just something about? You know, for all we know, it was the goddamn remote control. You know what I mean? And he was like, "We're going to put a touchpad on the remote control, and it's uh, and it's going to yeah. be bizarrely symmetric." Um, you know, it it could have been a terrible idea. I don't think. I think everybody read into that, and it was the way it was written. Was I mean, it was. Just, it was such a throwaway line. Yep, yep, And Jobs, of course, was characteristically super confident. Ah, I cracked right, it. Right. Uh, I got it. Uh, I don't think there was anything there. And if he did, or, or maybe he had a brilliant idea and they just could never get the content people on board. You know? That, so – Here's what I'll
0: say. I don't think
1: I'll just say this. In the it was 2011 when he died, and in the eight years in the eight years since then, I don't think Apple's done anything to crack it. So whatever his idea was, either they didn't listen to him, or it didn't didn't work.
0: Okay, so I agree with all of that, and I think that that's probably. You know that is uh, that is sort of the Occam's razor thing of uh, that there is is some some combination of he had just seen the latest work that they you know that team was working on and it looked like it was in a good position but they weren't able to get sort of the you know, the Hollywood players on board and so right. they could never launch what they wanted to do. I had also heard way but this is years ago, but back in the day, I had heard about what they effectively launched as the remote control that now everyone hates is the touch remote control. I had heard about this years ago before it launched. I'd heard about it as a slight it sounded when it was described to me as slightly different. More sort of almost more akin to the the magic trackpad, um just a bigger full on trackpad type hmm. thing. Um, uh, and, you know, it ultimately became a smaller thing and more remote, and with, with a few buttons, of course, which uh, presumably Jobs wouldn't have wanted, but um, uh, and so I think it's, I think you're right that it's a combination of all of these things uh, that he thought he had some interesting sort of um, conceptual new way to interface with a TV, he thought he had a new UI for the TV, and then he thought that once the Hollywood executives saw this package that they would right. have to sort of drop what they were doing and agree to it in in the way that they did with itunes right
1: right and but i i I think the bigger picture of where we stand today in 2019 and and with this new tv app coming up is is this are you bouncing back and forth to multiple apps you know and and they definitely i don't think they i always say this i don't think apple ever tries to mislead i think that their marketing product marketing is scrupulously honest now do they highlight the good and not talk about the bad, of course, you know, they're marketers, but they don't lie. And so I think that that day one, there were some pages on the webpage, uh, Apple.com that made it sound as though, uh, that when you went into this TV channels product, you wouldn't be bouncing between different apps that if you've got these channels and you want to go from the CBS interactive star Trek to Hulu's, that The Handmaiden's Tale. right? You would just skip from the one show to the other, not skip from the app, uh, between apps. There, I forget the exact language. It doesn't matter. And within 24 hours, it was subtly changed yeah, right. to, to not indicate that. Uh, I think it was a miscommunication. I don't think it was an attempt to mislead, because everybody's going to know eventually. There's no point in lying. I just think that the original copy was written by someone who was thinking along the lines of us that it was supposed to work this way. Because... I thi- Bouncing between apps on Apple TV is not great. No. To, so
0: right, and that's sort of my point. Like I think you're right with all of that 100%, but I also think that what they wanted in their ideal state to do is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um and even, you know, going talking to about Kafka again, right? His report right. before this event, the most interesting thing about that report that he had back then was that Apple would actually be hosting a lot of this content, right? From right. their own servers and that would imply, of course, that they were then just going to serve it up in the TV app and not make you go into a separate app. because. Why would they host that content for a separate app? They would do it in their own app, and so they are obviously going to do that. It seems like for a few different um, content partners. but they it really for it to be a seamless experience and something that 's great, they need to do it for all of the content partners, and they clearly yeah. just couldn 't get there
1: yeah there's it, just as a to be a user interface nerd, there is a conceptual complexity to bouncing between apps on yes. Apple TV. Uh, Like there's just an extra cognitive load to that. And, you know, in a sense, they're competing against Netflix where Netflix is its own universe. And once you're in Netflix, you only bounce between shows. You're not bouncing out between apps. And like, I don't think the problem is that there needs to be a better app switching interface. I just think that the natural unit on on Apple TV, if everybody would just agree to it, is the show. Not yes. the app. Yes, uh, a hundred,
0: a hundred percent, right. right. And that, I think this is this is sort of why I think I feel like Apple's game plan after a decade of of sort of failing to convince the Hollywood players to go along with their vision. I think they tried to do an end run around, which is basically like, okay, you guys know apps, you make them for the iPhone, you make them for the iPad now you'll make them for the Apple TV and then they thought that eventually they would convince them that this isn't sort of the best way to do it. The best way to do it is to have a unified sort of a cable guide interface, right, recreating yeah. sort of the cable bundle via, via contents that they could serve up. They can do recommendations all from within this TV app and they still just aren't there yet and now they have a separate problem which not only are all of the Hollywood guys not fully on board with that, they have the Netflix problem which is that Netflix is all, going to be a separate app they will never agree to be a part of this
1: yeah i i don't i wonder i i I would guess that they asked i mean they obviously talked to netflix and you know who knows what the you know who knows what those negotiations were like with where netflix decided we're going to stop taking itunes signups um but like I, i i've i say reported but i've written this and i can i can say it as fact um or pretty close to fact that Netflix had a sweetheart deal where they were only paying 15% instead of 30% for a lot right. longer than the, then than, that, than that right, they
0: started talking about it, yep.
1: started talking about it as a, Hey, you, you pay 30 for the first year and then 15 yep. thereafter. Like I think, and I, I, this, I think I'm pretty sure that Netflix's deal was 15 from the start. It was, there was no first year of 30 and then 15. It was like for a while, Netflix had, they just, you know, for iTunes signups, Apple only took 15%. Um, who knows yeah. why they stopped that? I guess they talked to Netflix and just tried to talk them into getting into the TV app. But I, I think Apple's smart enough to know that there's no way Netflix is going to go for that. Like well, there. and I
0: mean, there's a very obvious reason why beyond just the monetary aspect of it. Netflix's entire business is built around data collection, too, right. to be able to serve up recommendations and to create shows based on you right. know what people want. And so is Apple going to serve up 100% of the same data collection? Even if they serve up a lot of it, they're not going to have the same granular right. level of detail that you would get within the Netflix app. So why right. would Netflix ever agree to that?
1: Right. Yeah. And, and just being and, and giving up the control over being able to get the data that they want, you know, like, you know, if they want to know how much, how many times people pause a show, you know, they could do it because they, it's their own app. The only way to watch it is in their own app. And if that's interesting to them, you know, you know, if they want to say, if they want to do an algorithm and say, Hey, uh, these comedy specials that people tend not to pause do better than the ones that people pause a couple of times, you know, this guy or this woman, you know, had a comedy special that, and, people I, I don't know if that's useful or not i'm just saying that if they no, wanted no, to it, study totally, that totally. but right. that they've got data nerds looking at that right it's exactly like not the exactly. whole the whole moneyball aspect of baseball if you want to figure out if a guy who's left-handed you know tends to hit the ball to, uh, in between shortstop and third base and that's worth an extra you know uh, two wins a season you can do it if you have the data <laughs> right. right but right. you've got to have the data you just have yeah, to have yeah. it for uh, sure and this is you know uh, it gets into it where it's not just having the control and wanting them in your app, so you have the control. You're you're also fighting Apple's institutional stance on privacy, where Apple yep. can say, "Hey, you should you you know, uh, Mister Hulu executive should." Uh, let us have your shows, put your shows right here in the TV app without making people jump out. It's great. It's uh, all private for the user. That's not a selling point. (laughs) It's a selling point to the user. It sounds, you know, from Apple's perspective, it seems like a selling point that everybody should get on board with. But from the perspective of somebody who is at a data hungry company, uh, that is not a selling point. That is an anti-selling point.
0: And I, I, I mean, that speaks to what I think. You know, what happened with Apple News Plus too, right? Like, why is the New York Times and everyone like everyone was was focused on this fifty percent cut, which is obviously ridiculous, but it's also it's just they weren't going to share the subscriber data so like why on earth would they ever you know you you're basically giving up uh the goose if if you're doing that for as these these content companies so i I think they would be foolish to do that and it's just to a much greater degree with the uh with the Netflixes of the world because they are so sort of data focused even though it may not seem like that on the surface of it
1: i I just i think the bad news is we're stuck bouncing between apps is the bottom line I, i yes and they can make it as try to make it as seamless as possible but uh I don't see any way around it,
0: yeah the only, and I mean the only way and this sort of speaks to their their original content right like another part of the reason why why you would do it is if you needed leverage um over Uh, obviously, uh, again, going back to the the notion that that Eddie Q and whatnot have been having these conversations for a better part of a decade at this point, and haven't really been able to break through with with the Hollywood executives on the on the content side of things. And so it's a lot easier to have sort of those types of conversations. If you're also a, a content creator who has must have content, and you have more importantly, the user base that these content creators need to access. And so I think Apple's probably now holding out hope that there's some combination of of everything that they're doing uh, the culmination of all these things that launches in the fall and uh, after a, like sort of a two-year span of of doing this and being successful at it that they're able to to get some degree of leverage again over mm-hmm. having different types of conversations but i just don't think netflix is ever going to uh to be in uh, in play for that
1: i still think it is fascinating if you really just pause and think about what does Apple do, what has Apple always done is they sell devices, they sell computers yeah. and that's where they make money. That's where they've always made money. And, you know, they've, they've had famously, they, they, they made, they made iTunes for windows, but the only reason they made iTunes for windows was to allow windows users to use iPods. So they were yep. still selling a device. It was all, you know, uh, Whatever that are you know that's a famous Steve Jobs story that Steve Jobs was opposed to it and Phil Schiller and a few others uh, were adamant about it and he eventually (laughs) I think I think it's an Isaacson story too he was like all right whatever just just go ahead don't tell just don't (laughs) don't talk to me about it (laughs) right Uh, you know but it wound up turning the iPod from a nice little Mac peripheral into a, a a. a piece of pop culture you know something that everybody knew you know literally i remember at the time uh you'd be walking in the mall and i'd hear kids say i want to go to the ipod store yep um but it's you know still backed by hardware and you know they've got apple music for android i'd love to know how well that's doing yeah i really would yeah you never hear about it you um, don't but i've got it on my pixel it looks pretty good uh it certainly looks more like an Android app than Google's apps look like iOS apps, to be honest. And so it's, and as opposed to iTunes, which never really looked like a native Windows app.
0: That makes sense, right? Right. Because they have the deals with the music labels and they want to be able to compete with Spotify. And they, you know, they're they're by some accounts, I think ahead in the US, but still pretty far behind worldwide, right? And and Android's obviously key for worldwide distribution and all that stuff, right?
1: right? It doesn't seem like Apple Music for Android ever need they never needed to be concerned that this is going to affect iphone sales yes whereas with tv what they're doing now by partnering to get this stuff baked right into these quote-unquote smart tvs is definitely deflating the the appeal of owning an apple tv puck
0: yeah um that's I, fascinating i agree 100 I, I percent, and i think i we, we've probably even talked about this before i know like i i have long talked about this. uh, The Apple TV device is fascinating to me because it feels like the ultimate device in that Apple keeps being just a bit off of where they should be with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Where, uh, you know, obviously the... I think it's sold pretty well. It's not sort of selling as well as Roku and some of the other cheaper cheaper sticks and things like that. But it's been around for a long time now in, in a bunch of different iterations. And it seems like they've always been just on the cusp of doing something really interesting with it. Most recent versions of it were more interesting because of uh, the fact that it's obviously fully running, you know, their own variation of iOS now. And it has the, the A system chips in it. And so it can be an iOS device and it can run software just like an iOS device was and and namely it can run and this speaks to another part of the the services package games but Mm -hmm. they haven't done games in a way that's at all compelling on the apple tv even though they have them they have the app store part and i think the biggest inhibiting factor right now The games, yeah, they're not the hardcore games of, uh, you know, Xbox or PlayStation. That's not to say that they couldn't be, though, necessarily, given the power of these chips these days. But the biggest factor is the controls, Right. that they don't have their own control. I know they offer third-party ones in stores or whatever. Apple needs to make their own controller. And this can – I mean, we can go off on a tangent on this. I would argue that that's why, beyond the obvious, the most – the crown jewel of buying the IP of Nintendo, Nintendo makes great controllers, too. Imagine buying Nintendo to get access to their, their hardware IP around controllers like and, yeah. and launching something that way
1: i think that the steel case controller is like 60 bucks too if and is it have you ever used
0: it is yeah, it any good
1: uh i have one i bought one it feels a lot like an xbox controller which is my least favorite and i i say this as somebody who who retired from active video game playing a while yeah. back uh yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time playing the Wii when Jonas was younger. So the Wii, yep. the original Wii, was the last video game system that I spent uh, what i would consider a lot of time playing and i never really loved the weak controls no. uh I, I i thought they were clever with the pointing and the waving and stuff like that but like when i played mario kart i didn't wave you know i didn't <laughs> tilt the thing I, right but i'd never liked the xbox controller it's it's okay it feels the steel case one for apple tv feels like a generic controller like if you were making a controller for a tv show and you and and the lawyers came and said don't show a PlayStation controller don't show Xbox <laughs> and they're like just make like just have the ID team make up like just a generic video game controller that's exactly what it feels like it's okay but it it just feels like a kick in the pants that you're buying this box that's so much more expensive than a Roku or a Fire thing yeah. from Amazon and if you want to play games you've got to spend 60 bucks on a controller and that's one controller
0: that uh, your, your statement reminds me of when I was a kid and I used to go over to a friend's house who had um, uh, the Nintendo 64 and w- one of the controllers and that, that console, fi- uh, console famously had four control ports but we for some reason we always had one that was a generic one not made by Nintendo oh. and whoever had to use that one was sort of you know the runt of the litter for right, that right, day like right. and it's like oh god fine I'll use this one but uh, yeah I could see how that, that feels like that with the, uh, the sort of controllers because Apple doesn't make them first party right. and really we should, uh, and I think that that's, to me, like, the gaming service that they announced is very interesting. I think that it's super compelling. I could see why it's compelling to game creators who are in this world of iOS games have been in the race to the bottom. Yeah. You know, they have to be 99 cents or do in-app purchase, or they're basically done for. And so this is a way to, to sort of battle back against that. But I still feel like a huge component of this should be, at least leveraging that box that you have in your living room, which is the Apple TV. And the only way that they do that, I think is with a really great controller.
1: Yeah. I think it's more powerful as a computer than the Wii, uh, not the Wii, the Switch, which we have. I think think for
0: sure it is. I don't even think it's
1: close. Uh, I I know there's rumors that seem pretty good that Nintendo is going to come out with like a Switch 2, which is like uh, just new hardware, like not a new platform. So all the games will work, but it's just going to be like a faster Tegra cpu because the one they have in there is a little underpowered um yep and you know and the way that people love their switch and that switch games are super fun to play and they all look great and they don't feel slow and you know it it's they're definitely in that same boat with the switch and nintendo's success with it is showing that you don't have to compete with playstation and and xbox in that the way that they are really competing against gaming pcs you don't have to get into that whole area
0: and so, right, so that and that seems like the avenue that Apple is sort of likely to take. I, I assume that it's more uh, not casual, but just sort of um, different than than yeah, the hardcore PC games. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that that's a smart approach. Um, we'll see what the, the price point ends up being. You you mentioned ten dollars. I wouldn't be shocked if they do it a little bit more than that, like fifteen or something. Right. Um, it sort of depends on you know what what they have in store when they when they launch with um, yeah.
1: with whatever they're going to launch. Yeah. That's a um, big but, one too but the w- the way that they're not allowing any in app you know anybody who's competing in that in that anybody who's got a, a game in Apple Arcade yeah. that's it you you're it, no you get the in-app, whole game yeah. no in app purchase I, I think, think that's, that's great I think it it's didn't gonna...
0: work with Nintendo, right? It was well, it was sort of a weird thing. The Nintendo the Super Mario Run thing was weird in my in my mind. Like, I get what they were trying to do with it, right? You could get it for free, and then you paid one time fee, yeah. and then you unlocked it, and there was no more in app. I think they, they didn't do as well as they were probably expecting to do with that. And now Nintendo's success stories in mobile have been just in app purchase, right? It's right. like the uh, the Fire Emblem thing and, and Animal Crossing. I always like the notion of what Apple and Nintendo were trying to do with that, right? Not trick anyone, not, not allow kids to, to have to spend an arm and a leg and just be constantly milked for more and more, more of their milk money out of it. right. Right.
1: Yeah. I totally appreciate that. And it's, you know, uh, it's the right thing to do, even if they are leaving money on the table. I don't know the slot game, the slot machinification of video games on mobile is it, it, it's, Maybe it's beneath the, the whole privacy stuff with Facebook and, you know, it it's not – like the Facebook stuff is like getting Donald Trump and Brexit to win elections. <laughs> right. Uh, it's changing the course of 21st century world history. Yeah. Uh, people spending 20 bucks a month on Candy Crush isn't, but – you know, So it's low down on a list of our industry problems, but it is a problem. It, it's not right. I mean, and it, it
0: also sort of started with Facebook as well, right? Right. And uh, Farmville yeah. and all those yep. things back in the day. Like yep. that's how people originally – that's where the whales came from. And, right. and then they moved on to mobile. But yeah, this was uh, – this all ties back to Facebook in the end, unfortunately. <laughs> did, um,
1: did you see that thing a couple of months ago where there was a lawsuit about their games and that they had – as part of the discovery, they had like chat transcripts from Facebook employees – who were talking about like, Hey, there's a, there's a,
0: uh, Oh, the whale. Th- this was about the whale thing, right? Yeah. Somebody's, yeah.
1: uh, what's it called? When you, uh, uh, you blank a charge, you, you're, you're, arguing
0: uh, right. A, you, um,
1: uh, what's the word dispute? Yeah. There's yeah, a, there's yeah, a dispute yeah. of a charge. Uh, it's a, it's a 15 year old girl who racked up $4,000 <laughs> and stuff. Right. And it's right. like, well, is she really, f- 15 or 14. And it's like, I don't know. She doesn't really look it. So like they're even saying like, it doesn't really look like she's 15. It's just that, that, you know, that's the minimum age you had to be. And, you know, and they have all this proof that Facebook knew that kids didn't realize they were playing with real money. That they right. really thought that it was a virtual currency, which, of course, isn't. It actually does, is not that hard to believe with all these games that have. Yeah, for sure. They have the and, coins and, yeah. Right. And literally like $4,000. Like, like yeah. not like, oh, your kid ran up 40 bucks. Like $4,000. And they're just like, ah, let it go. No, no, don't, don't do a chargeback on that one. We'll keep that one. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that, you're a bad person. That's, that's bad.
0: Anyway. And, and yeah, and Apple, I mean, that was a big, that was a subtext. I think, uh, Benedict Evans wrote about this too, yeah. which I agree with. Like the subtext of this whole event was not only the services thing, but it's also privacy yeah. and, um, and sort of doing the right thing with things like this. Right. Yeah. Even to the point where the, one of the more surprising things, which I thought was fascinating was that they kept talking up in every single instance, how they were, there was family sharing on yeah. all of these services. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. pay once and everyone can access it in your family.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it it wasn't, you don't, you didn't have to even really be paying attention to the event to see that they were putting up the same slide with the same seven bullet yep. points, you know, yep. family sharing and private and kid friendly and, you know, uh, and whatever the list of seven things were. It was the same for news. It was the same for games. It was the same for TV, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's obviously something they're hammering home that they believe in. I really do think they believe in it. And I also think that they think that this is, This is appealing.
0: Yep. Um, To quickly tie back to your point about so. Apple TV the device because they're releasing the service on all these other TVs and they're really undercutting their argument for Apple TV. Yeah. It feels like th- they obviously have to know that. And so what is their plan going forward? Do they do something where it's more like a uh, full-fledged more full-fledged gaming s- service with a controller and something uh to to upsell? Do they do they package Apple TVs plus like we were talking about to try to to sell, you know, sort of the the more uh, hardcore apple users um do they do something entirely different? Like I think, you know, you and I have talked about in the past, like they they really dropped the ball with the opportunity to use this device that people had in their homes, either as, Mm. as a precursor to Alexa or as a, uh, Eero type thing, right. Where, where they could have just had this hardware and, and used it for all these other things that we'd now use hardware for. And they had this thing right there for the taking and just didn't do anything that interesting with it. So do they do that now and make it a more interesting box because they really need to make a, uh, Uh, a key value sell on buying a $200 box when you don't need it anymore for anything.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I don't know. I think it's a tragedy. I've talked to, and in fact, I don't know anybody privately who who even argues otherwise. I mean, somebody at Apple must think it's a bad idea to be in the router Wi-Fi business. But I know so many people, friends who are former Apple employees, uh, just outside observers, everybody thinks it is just like a heartbreaking mistake that Apple has abandoned the airport business because, uh, it, this whole, it, to, to, that they're that they've gotten out of the business right as online privacy has become something. you want to talk
0: about a privacy argument make that argument yes seriously
1: it's foremost on their their public statements that tim cook talks about privacy every single time he's in public every interview everything i mean he obviously means it it is obviously strategically central to apple right now and and going forward it's hard to see how that's going to change it's not and and they've you know to have this ally if you are as a consumer concerned about your privacy and your online privacy to be able to buy a router that you can trust and that yeah. isn't going to if it does listen to voice commands that you really do believe that they're not that they don't have like an army of employees who, who listen. And when somebody says something funny, they pass it around, which is a story. I think the information or somebody broke about Amazon, you know, that they've got this army of humans who are backing up these commands to figure out, you know, when something goes wrong to listen to it and then figure out how to correct it. And they're sharing this stuff and that they have access to your home address and just crazy stuff. Like if you could, I would really trust Apple in that regard. Uh, And to have them not be making a router of all the products that could really, really affect the privacy of every single device on your network, that's – it's just central to it. And then uh, it's heartbreaking. And, yeah, they could tie it together and say just buy this one thing. It's not that big and you can put it in your living room and it will also play games and show – show TV shows and original content and stuff. Yep.
0: And has Siri baked in and has all this, you know, all this other stuff that they could do with it. And they just weren't able to pull it all together for some reason. Um, uh, to have the foresight to to be able to do that, and yeah. um, but but I think that that stuff is still in play. Maybe not the router stuff, right. uh, you know, given what you're talking about, but um, some of that other some of those other elements with the sort of you know I think everyone agrees that that HomePod has not been a success, and so um, you know, the the rumors are that they're working on a smaller version or something. But like, why not just bake it into this device, right? right. Like. And then make make a reason for people to have this device again, or at least some some sort of compelling argument when, you know, why you would buy this when you are about to launch your service, which is the focal point of this uh, on all these other devices.
1: Yeah, I don't know with the router thing. I just want to know. I want to know, like, what are we supposed to buy? You know, I mean, I have I mean, they're not sponsoring this week's show. I have Eero. I've had it for years. I like it. Yeah, I love Uh, Eero, too. You know, Uh so I, you know, that if somebody asked me what I should buy, I would, I would honestly, again, they're not sponsoring this week's show, but they have sponsored many times. So take it with a grain of salt, if you wish, or a disclaimer. But my honest advice to like a family member who said, "Hey, I need, I want to get a new Wi-Fi thing," I, I would tell them to get Eero. But like, what does Tim Cook have at his house? Yeah, uh, you know, right. I, I, you know, what does Phil Schiller have? I mean, do they just pay to have like a. a, a Professionals and so, yeah, the enterprise uh, grade stuff. I mean,
0: likely, maybe, but maybe not. I mean, do they have that in? What do they have? Yeah, in their what do they recommend their family members? Right, right, right. um, Yeah, I
1: I don't know. It was just it's just a bizarre product to get out. I I, and I see how it might have been a tough business because it's it's just like the problem that TiVo always had where they're trying to get you to buy this DVR, but the cable company gives you a DVR. Steve Jobs talked about this at length in in the book about the problems getting into TV is that the problem is they're competing against anything you want to sell people is competing against a box they get from the cable company for quote unquote free. Yep. You know, I mean, the modern opportunity is that, you know, as opposed to 15 years ago, the modern opportunity is that there's a growing number of people who don't have the box from cable company. They only yep. have internet service, so there's exactly. your opportunity. But on the router front, everybody gets—you still have to have internet. You can't, you know—that's the cord you can't cut.
0: Yes, so that's a good point, and uh, yeah, I totally agree. Like the—that's what uh, when we were talking about the Steve Jobs, I finally cracked it thing. It sort of seems like uh this day and age would be a lot easier to sort of start from scratch because the cable box is not so ingrained. But it took just time mm-hmm. for that to happen, right? right? And you're right with the router thing too. But I feel like just what you were talking about earlier—the argument now is the privacy argument and that's a a super compelling argument to a lot of people right and you just say like Apple got out of that business um, for probably the right reasons from a bottom line perspective and from their own perspective and focus and whatnot. but now you can make the argument that that would have been their, their single greatest sort of strength with regard to the privacy and security argument and so even if they're not making a ton of money off of these devices now that we have services narrative like what would be better than having some sort of security like Eero offers like security services right Right. through their box. And so why would Apple not do that? They of course would. And they probably wish that they could do that now, Um, but they pulled back.
1: Yeah. Who knows what they're going to do now that they're an Amazon subsidiary, but their last year or so, their Eero's if, you know, just listening to what they tell me to, to promote on the, uh, on the podcast reads their their add on Eero plus service was clearly a central, uh, the, their, their big idea that they had, you know, buy I don't know if they were selling the hardware break even or whatever, but the hardware is f- fair enough priced that I wouldn't be surprised that to make money it was the service, you know.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Services, services, services. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, I don't know what else you, you you wanted to talk about, but that that sort of I think is an interesting segue into a question I had for you.
1: Okay. If, if... I love questions for me.
0: So one thing, you know, now that I'm, I'm so far removed from my reporting days, uh, you know, going on, I don't even know how long it's been, it's eight years or something since I've been a day-to-day reporter, and, and obviously I was covering Apple a lot back in those days. Um, but I came into Apple in a very different vector than you did, where, you know, you've been uh, sort of, you know, following the company, obviously, since since you started writing on the internet, but, um, you know, before that as a as just a fan and, and a Boy, user. Um, and I came in in a very different sort of position where uh, you speak to the, the iPod, the iPod was the uh the thing that hooked me into it when i was still a windows user right and that's how uh the the whole halo effect thing and then i started buying uh uh apple products after i bought that initial ipod um but i was like a hardcore windows user went to the midnight launch of windows 95 even and and things like that and so uh i came into it much later but then i felt like uh the timing ended up being good from my reporting days of like figuring out that this is like the company that's really you know was the underdog but seems like it's going to come roaring back and of course that happened and became the most valuable company in the world, yada, yada. So these days when I'm looking at the company, again, from afar, and I've been out of the day-to-day for a long time now, but I do see a company that, you know, is unquestionably slipping at the edges, but I do wonder what your perspective is as someone who watches it more closely on a day-to-day, and I, I obviously get a sense of it reading, you know, during Fireball, but... What do, you th- do you think that there's a risk that this sort of slipping at the edges with things like the, the MacBook keyboard, um, you know, on down HomePod, all these other sort of little things that are just sort of slight misses to, to pretty big misses, do you think that it becomes this thing that leads to an internal sort of rot, for lack of a better word, within the company?
1: That's a very good question. I worry about that a lot. I think that's, that the stability at the executive level, which is really pretty extraordinary, helps. I mean, Tim Cook's been there for a while. Phil Schiller has been there the longest of anybody. I think Schiller was the only one who's, I I believe, who's still left on the executive page who was there before the next, as I call it, the next reunification. Yep. Eddie Q, Lifer.
0: And Johnny Ive, of course.
1: And Johnny was, of course, there. Yeah. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about. There's a couple of guys. No, but but that actually – But the fact that there are these top – people like Eddie and Phil and Johnny who've been there since before Steve Jobs came back to the company <laughs> right. and are still there helps in some ways at maintaining you know apple is apple but i do think that i i i think it's too easy to lose your edge when you're on top it's mm-hmm. being the scrappy underdog kept them i think kept the whole company down to the smallest details on edge because they couldn't afford, uh, uh, you know. I, 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 I don't want to exaggerate too much. I, it, but I think that if they'd had this keyboard problem circa two thousand five, two thousand six, it would have been a much bigger problem that they couldn't afford to have uh, unreliable keyboards. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Because people would just go right back to to Windows, right? Right, and it, yeah, you know. And now they feel like they've got them. I feel, and I feel like they might underestimate. Like, I don't want to focus too much on the Mac because your question was about Apple as a whole. But the Mac yeah. is in a precarious place, in my opinion, because I think an awful lot of the growth, if not the majority of the growth, in Mac users in the last ten years, aren't really Mac users, in my sense of the word, where they're not deeply entrenched in the Mac ecosystem. There's uh, just to name one type of user would be like a, a web developer uh, who mostly uses Safari or Chrome, uh, right? Often Chrome and a terminal window. Uh, yep, yep. A- and you know, uh, I forget the name of the text editor, but there's a cross-platform text editor. I forget if it's called Sublime Text or whatever, but it's cross-platform. It's not deeply integrated. With a Mac in any way, like the way PB edit is or the way Xcode is, if you're that person can easily switch to another computer. Uh, I think there's a lot of casual users who mostly use stuff in Safari, Uh, you know, Safari mail. I mean, Messages is a big one, but if they do their Messages, if they still have an iPhone, they can switch. I don't know how mm-hmm. many people who use uh, you know, iMessage also you know, count on being able to do it from their Mac. Mm-hmm. But there's an awful lot of Mac users who've grown, you know, who've come into the fold in the last 10 years who would have a, a fairly easy time switching to another, anything with the web browser and, you know a couple of these generic things as opposed to like me, I would be lost. I would be completely <laughs> right. lost not using the Mac cause I use it in ways that are specific and only and unique to the Macintosh. Uh, so this keyboard thing, I hear it from people. I hear people who say, well, I, you know, yeah, I had a second, I got a second one. It went bad. So I got rid of it and I switched to a uh, ThinkPad or something. Uh, you know, just like that. Uh, that's, would be very, very difficult for me. Uh, you know, I don't think we're seeing it yet in Mac sales in their quarterly statements, but right. boy, the reputational harm is there. Um, I do. I don't know. I, I, is it rot? Is it arrogance? I, th- I think some of it might be a little arrogant. I mean, the keyboard thing is pretty exemplary of it. Uh, I, I, I think it's really I don't I've I've written a fair amount about it, you know, recently, and I've had said some pretty strong things like it's off quoted that I said it's the biggest mistake in Apple's history. Uh and then mm-hmm. I put an asterisk an hour or two later to say modern history. Mo- mobile let's say. me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think. <laughs> well, I, people were. T- it was a fun Twitter discussion. People were tossing stuff like that out. Mobile me was not a good launch, uh, right? But it gave but, way to iCloud and yeah, everything that sort of. Well, they yeah. fixed it. You know, as soon as it launched, Steve Jobs famously held a town hall meeting where right. he said, "Hey, what? Somebody tell me what is Mobile Me supposed to do?" And then somebody, some brave soul, raised their hand and said, "It's supposed to do X, Y, and Z." And he said, yes, that's a good description. So why the hell doesn't it do that? Silence, you know, fix it. Yep, Get it. But the other thing is that MobileMe being crummy didn't do reputational harm to Apple because their reputation was already a company that is not good at online services. Yep. Yep, it, and it, the same it,
0: thing with ping and right, right like all of those things. Right. Yeah, uh, totally. And this is right. this hits at their fundamental like goes back to the earliest days of the company right. like creating hardware, uh differentiated hardware mixed with software and they have messed up the hardware component to the point where yeah, the, I mean the Wall Street Journal is writing giant right. stories
1: about it. So right. I, I again, I love the mac at a deep level and i know a lot of people do i think the mac still has lots of diehard mac users who who know tricks and and really and use lots of third-party apps and stuff like that the traditional mac user the type of mac user who back in the day would read Mac user magazine. Get a magazine, just to, just to read about what's new and, and stuff like that, enthusiasts. But even for, it's, it's not a bad thing. I, I just think it's dangerous for Apple because the other type of user, the casual user who just uses it at a very thin veneer level, right, can easily switch. Yep. And the reason, but why did they use a Mac, even though Macs are quote unquote expensive? Because they had a reputation as being the best, even if you didn't really care about the software that much, you just wanted yep. a web browser. Yep. If you really buy laptops based on the hardware, which is different than me. To me, it's the ecosystem. I'd rather have a bad laptop running Mac OS ten than a perfect hardware laptop running Windows. I, yeah. I would because that's just that's what I need to do for my work. But I, I I'm not saying the other people are crazy. I think, you know, they have a point. Um uh, yeah, it, it's Apple's reputation was it was the best it was the best laptop you could buy.
0: So that's fascinating because obviously it was the web browser that sort of al- also allowed uh, Apple to to take off, right? right? Because all of a sudden it right. didn't the software didn't right. matter as much as long as you had access to the web browser. And so if that's if that was both the entry point and now it's also the exit point, of course, potentially for for these casual users that you're right. talking about, you know, like anecdotally you see a lot more Surface uh, tablets out and about, right? Um, right. Because because it seems like a well designed machine. Yep. Yes, it runs Windows, but but most people are just using it for the web browser. Yeah. Um, no, it's very so, true. I
1: definitely see more surfaces out there. They're, Microsoft is quietly, they've kind of created their own Mac in a sense, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like where right. the Mac was back in the day. Like, you know, it, there's not a lot of them. You don't see, you're not going to see that picture of the college classroom where, right,
0: with all the illuminated, five, 500 yeah. students have a <laughs>
1: Windows logo on their laptop. Right. Uh, but you go into a coffee shop and you're going to see a couple of them
0: um so let me ask you an offshoot of of that which is that of what you're just talking about do you think because my sense is i think one way to easily explain what is happening is that sort of what you what you're suggesting where they're at the point of success now and it's like um are they focusing on the right stuff Uh, it also feels like the. The hardware got to a point where it was so good that it almost felt like they started tinkering in a way that was over engineering. And mm. I think the 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 keyboards are a great example of that. They created an entirely new, you know, the, the famous butterfly mechanism to be to be able to create a new style of keyboard that they they at the time, uh, you know, I remember there was a there was a Johnny I video about it, right? right? About how the the push down was more evenly distributed across the key, right? Right. And if you so push it was if me- you
1: push at the corner of the key, the whole key it goes was down. Right. Evenly. The
0: whole key goes down, and so and, th- and that of course they did a great job with that with the track pads, right? And so it seems like though that they they actually over engineered uh, the product um, where they thought they were obviously doing it for reasons to make it more reliable. The uh, the exact opposite ended up happening, and I feel like. You can see this in more and more of the products and i think the touch bar is an ultimate example of this too right like mm-hmm. that is it's it's like a thing that the the uh the jeff goldblum jurassic park quote right where it's like they became pre- so preoccupied with with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should right. um type situation
1: yeah and there's a couple of other aspects that tie into that too that i find a little worrisome so like I don't think I'm alone here. I I feel like there's two types of people with the arrow key layout. There's the people like me who really miss the upside down T and then there's people who maybe don't care. I don't think there's anybody who thinks that the new layout where the left and right keys are full height keys is a better design for those arrow keys. Um, Why would they change that? Well, I think it's very obvious and to me it's a little worrisome. I do think that the new layout looks better because yeah, the keyboard please. looks right. better aesthetically without those gaps above just two of the keys. And instead, yep. it's a perfect rectangle. Yep. But it doesn't work better. And that's in direct contradiction to the famous Steve Jobs quote that design, most people think it's just what it looks like. Design is how it works. Well, yep. the, the new arrow key layout does not work better. If you use arrow keys a lot, and I do while text editing, I use them all the time. It's it's not better. It's worse. It's no yep. doubt it's worse. It just looks better. And I find that very worrisome that there is a and again, I'm not blaming Johnny Ive personally. Maybe he had nothing to do with it. Maybe he did. Maybe he's the one who insisted. I don't know. But somewhere in his group is somebody who felt strongly enough about how the keyboard looks with full height left and right keys and won the argument. You know, and yep. I think the other key just go to the other corner of the keyboard and the lack of a hardware escape key. Again, I'm sure most users never touch the escape key, but the users who do use the escape key, like developers who use code editors that have the escape key caught you know, mapped to uh, code completion or something like that, uh, use it all the time. And not yep. having a hardware escape key on the touch bar keyboards is driving those people nuts. It's not better. It is definitely not better. It is worse and would that would the touch bar look a little worse with an escape a real escape key up yep. there and only have it replace the f1 through f whatever's i guess it would look a little less clever but yep. it would work better that's I, I, it's all very worrisome and that is completely aside from the fact that these keyboards have a <laughs> right, tendency to work. break
0: Um, So that leads to the, I think, what is sort of the ultimate question right now, uh, at least in my head. And so it's not like a unique idea to me, of course, but like, I do think that this is something I keep coming back to when I'm thinking about these like sort of higher level discussions. So you mentioned, and it's perfect in that you mentioned, you know, like um, Phil Schiller, Johnny Ive, Eddie Q, uh, Tim Cook, all of these people have their roles at Apple and have had them for 20 years in some cases, 25 years in some cases, right? And even Tim Cook's like, while he's now CEO and has been for a long time time at this point he's still a logistics guy and an operations guy right at his at his core so they don't have It seems they obviously do have people, but they don't have the one product person. They have Johnny Ive, who's design. They have Phil Schiller, who does marketing. And a lot of them, and I know he tries to sort of bridge into the product decisions in in some cases, right? And I think many of them do. But they don't have that one sort of head of product person, that I'm aware of at least, who sort of makes those ultimate calls, which you think could – uh alleviate at the very least some of these these questions and have they had that person since steve jobs uh, has been gone and so is it as simple as that
1: maybe you know like i know that you know the entire internet was for three or four years after his well, probably starting from when he first got sick even right it wasn't even when he died it was when he first had to take like a medical leave Right. Uh, you know, the Internet was full of Apple will never survive without Steve Jobs. Ne- Apple, right. you know, doomed without Steve Jobs or doomed or doomed to doom, 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 doom. You know, it, <laughs> right. talk about infinite content. You you could start reading those articles from that era and never, you'll die before you read all of them. <laughs> and they were wrong. Obviously, Apple soared right. to uh, untold greater heights afterwards. Uh,
0: I So that's right. We all agree that that is, that is absolutely true. Just look at the stock price. Look right. at the valuation of the company. Look at the amount of money they're making. Uh, by all right. vectors, that's true, right? But right. you could argue that that was just sort of this period of when everyone kept doing their jobs as they were supposed to be doing from Tim Cook on down now that he had the new job but still operations on down and they were set up in such a way that this would always become, not always, but in many cases would become this ultimate company because they could execute on those ideas. And I know that this is sort of a cliche, but pointing to the, when they ran out of sort of the pipeline, would they ever be able to get out of that? And you could argue that they've even done that pretty well. They they didn't have the Apple Watch correct at first, but then they've been able to back into it. And the AirPods are a great product, right? right? But it still sort of feels like they have all of the talents around the table, but they they're missing just one piece. It's sort of like I'm reminded of the um you remember Swingers the movie from the 90s where yes. at one point there there uh, two of the guys are like trying to have a conversation with the Mikey character of like you're this bear with these big fucking claws and you don't know what to do with these fucking claws. <laughs> and I feel like that's sort of like Apple these days. They have all the pieces in place, but they're not quite sure what they should do with them. And so they're trying all of these different things, but there is no sort of killer next thing and and maybe there never would have been right even with steve who said who could say that there would have ever been that thing but they have this great team in place and they're executing on certain parts of it where they need to they just don't quite have the thing to tie it all together to to make the exact right calls in all of these circumstances
1: yeah i've said this before i forget which episode um i i i do feel like one of the things that they're missing with steve jobs isn't the creation of the big new thing and and watch and airpods are good examples they they could do it without him i feel like maybe and he was good at that of course he famously good in you know world famously good but the other thing that he was so good at was putting his finger on what was wrong Mm -hmm. and saying this is wrong fix it and holding people responsible and i don't know Again, it is dangerous territory for an Apple commentator or podcaster to get into <laughs> this. It wouldn't have happened if Steve Jobs was still around. I right. would like to think that I have, over the last seven, eight years, uh, done a very good job of dancing around that. Using it, you know, talking about it when it's apt. Not not pretending like it's, you know, like there is no difference between not having it, but not overusing it. But right. I cannot help but think that this keyboard thing would have been fixed sooner. That yep. I really feel like he was good at At some point. you know. Again, I don't think the problem was shipping this, this keyboard in the first place. And I, I've had arguments with Twitter on people. They're like, they should have known this keyboard was crap from the beginning. I'm sure that in their development of it, the keys weren't getting stuck. I don't know what rate the keys get stuck, but it's a low enough rate that I can see how it went through development and came out. And it seems like different keyboards are better than others. It seems like the people – anecdotally, it seems like people who have the regular MacBook, the one-port MacBook, don't seem to have the problem as much as other people. I don't know why, but that's the one that shipped with it first, I believe, because it needed to be so thin because the device is so crazy thin. But at some point in the three years since they've switched to this keyboard – and again, even if the data doesn't back it up, but I'm pretty sure that it does – that the data shows that these keyboards are uh, far less reliable than Apple's all of Apple's previous MacBook and PowerBook keyboards to the dawn of time. Even if the data doesn't back it up, though, even if somebody can say, "Look, here's our our support rate. It's this, you know, it's three point seven percent, and it used to be three point five percent. So it's two tenths of one percent difference, you know, from the previous generation." Right. Even if that's the case. The reputational harm is obviously real because people are talking about it. Joanna yep. Stern is mocking them in her Wall Street Journal column yep. with an actual keyboard that is actually have has keys that don't work. You know, Casey Johnston has you know of all people to, to buy another <laughs> I saw her a new, MacBook yeah, she bought a newer one, yep, yep. And and started having spacebar problems. Uh you know, and, it, and the, think
0: about that in the context of you know, you talked about the Mobile Me famous, um, uh, you know, town hall thing okay. that they did internally, and and Steve Jobs was irate, but the, there was also that famous story, right, of of when Mo, Walt Mossberg gave the one bad review, and yep. like you know, and Jobs said like Walt Mossberg is is you know talking shit about this thing, right. like. So why aren't they doing that now? Right.
1: Right. Right. Like, and I can't help but fear. I, I have reason to believe. I don't want to go into it. It's all like third, maybe fourth hand. It is like so far whispered down the alley that it's not even worth taking as anything other than a hope. But I have heard that there is a new keyboard in the works. And I don't know if it's I don't know if it is all a butterfly. I don't know what it is, but I've heard it has a bit more travel. Mm-hmm. I think they might be going back to the upside down T on the on the arrows. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. but yeah. I don't know how soon it's going to come out. And and I think that's part of the problem too with with today's Apple is that they, if it's not the iPhone, it's not that they don't care. It's not like they're you know. And I, I feel like they're cautious about becoming over reliant on the. Yep. Overly reliant on the iPhone and that's why they're pushing into services and they realize that maybe, you know, they've reached peak iPhone years ago, but they just don't seem to be able to muster.
0: Yeah mass I, effort I, I for anything. They, other they still than... have to make decisions at right. the end of the day and right. still the most important decisions while it's maybe a fading, Well, it's maybe peak iPhone, still right. the most important decisions have to be around the right. iPhone. So, if... so,
1: you know, somebody there, they've, they've put a new keyboard into, I mean, even if there were no problems with the keyboard, they tend to switch, you know, update keyboards every four or five years anyway. So, yeah. I mean, it's not like, it, but it just doesn't seem to me though, that they've treating this keyboard thing with the pants on fire, uh intensity that they should have and that they're like well it's just the macbook lineup so we'll get to it we'll we'll get a new keyboard into the works but you know this might be a 2020 thing or something by the time it ships and who knows how long it'll be before it ships across the entire lineup because they do things like let the macbook air sit unchanged for three or four years while they wait for intel to come up with a chip that they like etc
0: And so a a large part of this is obviously just Apple operating at a scale that's unheard of. And certainly for them, you know, like 10 years ago, it was a much smaller scale. And so they didn't have to worry, let alone 20 years ago and whatnot, uh, as much about just, you know, the word... Matriculating out about problems with things, and they just didn't—they weren't doing as much, right? And right. so there wasn't nearly as much ground to cover. But it also feels like this is all related to, uh, I, I guess, when I when I listen to you talk about it, the the phrase I, I think about is like reading the room, and it's in this case the room is sort of the world, right? But right. they're they're getting—they seem to be a little bit worse uh, these days at reading the room with regard to like doing things like not only the keyboard, which is an extreme example, but even things on down the line like you know they obviously screwed up with the with the Mac pro and mm-hmm. and you know you could argue there were all sorts of reasons for that and I'm sure there's lots of valid arguments for that but they they're not thinking through sort of the the second the second uh, tier effects of of these decisions that they're making necessarily and again just at a higher level reading the room about like what uh, what they should sort of be focused on uh, and that's easy for us to say from afar of course but I do feel like we're seeing the degradation of various parts and and products in some cases uh because they're not quite
1: reading the room right yeah maybe HomePod's a good example of that too it it just in terms of i like it i think it sounds great i really love having two of them in our kitchen i think it sounds it, it 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 occasionally just startles me how good it sounds um but it's 350 bucks a pop. I yeah, right. Three twenty nine dollars a pop now. I, and, and just um, in I'm, terms of reading the room and reading, you know, like, and who knows, you know, they're all Bezos numbers, but, <laughs> right. you know, Amazon says this is the best-selling sound system in the world, you know, and it's the $49 or whatever, you know, the one that, who knows what they're selling. But they're yes. clearly selling in quantity, and this seems to be the sort of fun purchase, you know, like, I want to be able to talk to my speaker and tell it to play music that people seem to want to spend like a hundred dollars on.
0: Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I I wrote exactly about this, this thing before it launched uh, thinking it's, it's basically, I'm sure it'll be a good product and it is a good product. It's just, it's, it's a mixture of the wrong strategy, uh, sort of mixed with that, that leading them to create sort of the wrong price point of right. the product, right? Because and they could argue with their history that they've always created products that are more expensive and more focused and or whatnot, and that's fine. And that's fine until it's not. It's not correct right. anymore. Uh, it's not always to say that the same thing that worked in the past is going to work in the future. Yeah. And I think you could, if you were reading the room correctly, as you know, like some of us could from outside of the company, and and uh, you know, obviously a lot of people have said this, but like. I feel like you can read the room correctly and then get to what the what the sort of correct uh combination of things you should be focused on is yeah. and I go back to again sort of a uh, head of product or whatever uh whatever sort of person in charge of that that specific part of the company should be able to sort of at least steer the right direction for them.
1: Yeah. An interesting uh, what if scenario that I was talking to somebody uh, who actually works at Apple, you know, but you know but a friend uh just as an interesting what if so to make a new lower tiered you know 750 fifty dollar iphone in the 10 class family they made the iphone 10r and i think the 10r is doing pretty well i don't think it's the fi- the new 5c i think it's doing pretty well yeah but it was it, it's an all new device they they went crazy on the screen and you know, like for cost purposes they didn't want to go oled like the 10s and 10s max they went with an uh, lcd screen but to get it to go as close to the edges as they did all the way around all four sides uh was a tremendous effort it's crazy what they did nilai i believe uh Took a microscope with his XR review to, to <laughs> yeah, show so. what they're doing at the corners, and then when you look at a, like a Google Pixel that has fake rounded corners, right? You see it just how ugh, it's like wow, right. they, literally
0: cutting corners. Yeah, just cutting corners. Versus, yeah, just
1: yeah, cutting right. Corners. right. Um, what if though, instead of spending all that effort on the 10R, they had done it for the lower priced iPads instead. And you could have gotten, you know, with these iPads, they just released a couple of weeks ago, like the new yep. mini, yep. the new 9.7 model pro. Yeah. What if they had gone and done, or sorry,
0: like, the air, it's not, yeah, the air, the air, right? Yeah, the, the air, 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 right. Right, yeah. the air.
1: Uh, you know, they obviously didn't, they obviously took a very cost efficient thing and said, we'll, we'll just take the existing industrial design and we'll just update some components. Mm-hmm. And you know, why didn't they go full 10R on those devices? And it's because I think institutionally, like they clearly could have. The company has more money than God. Uh, it just isn't – It it's not enough to get their interest, right? Like they're just – only the iPhone gets that sort of attention.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting – Interesting question. Um, because I'm in the mind of like, so I was. I'm a huge iPad Mini fan and have been forever. And all I wanted is exactly what they finally gave us. Right, the okay. updated internals to the exact same form factor. And that. Yeah. And so I'm super happy with that. Uh, Wouldn't you be would happier be, though
1: if it went corner to corner? <laughs> I think yes. Right. I, so Face ID. Yes,
0: but with a caveat that I don't. Uh, and this is a whole nother you know can of worms but i don't love the new ipad i'm using it right now i don't love the new ipad pro design hmm. i like the rounded uh sort of back hmm. uh form factor more of the old ipad pro i love the screen you know obviously it's better not to have the the bigger bezels on the you know the front of the screen but would i trade that for the uh a different back or the flatter sort of sides i don't know maybe but uh, an offshoot of your your question too is like i think i'm not alone and a lot of people are saying this and and i I think you were talking about this with molts last week right like where a lot of people still want the se right a version of the se what should apple make the i the iphone mini uh you know some version of the se again versus doing a 10r type thing because another problem with so i just i mentioned you know that i bought for for megan uh the the 10s uh the you know the smaller one not the max and um I was very sort of torn by that because right now she has an iPhone 8 and she likes that size. She didn't want a bigger size. I know the XS is fairly close. It's just a bigger screen, obviously, but it's still bigger. And yeah. she didn't want bigger. Uh, and there's a lot of people in that in that camp. And instead, they made the ten R, which is actually bigger than the XS, right? right? And so another question, like, would that... Would it have, you know, behooved Apple more to do uh small, you know, who's, who's to say exactly, but I do think that these are interesting questions that you hope that they're debating quite rigorously internally.
1: Yeah. When you're the only company that makes iPhones are, is three sizes enough? I mean, I don't know. And really the 10 r to me, isn't really a third size. It's it, yeah. It, it's something different. Yeah. It is something different. There really are only two sizes of iPhones, you know, and it just, if you're the only company and you're selling it to, you know, hundreds of millions of people, maybe there should be more, you know. It's, it's almost on unu- It's, it's highly unusual that <laughs> that one company with so much at stake only makes two devices, you know, two, three devices for the entire lineup.
0: Yeah. Um, especially given like, look at how many iPads they make, how many different versions of the iPad. They like, they've the, uh, uh, the mini, the air, the pro, the yeah. regular so they yeah. have more skews of the ipad right
1: yeah yeah they do and and they're very different sizes much more variety in the sizes than there are on the uh on the phone yep. yeah i don't know it's it, it's it's unusual let me take a third break here and thank our third and final sponsor before we run way too long um uh, it's our good friends at casper casper products they make sleep products they make mattresses they make sheets they make everything you need for sleeping pillows Look, you spend one-third of your life sleeping. I spend way more than a third of my life sleeping. MG spends less than a third of his life sleeping because he's got a baby.
0: <laughs> these days. But yep. no matter
1: how long you can sleep, you should be comfortable when you do. Make the most of that time. The experts at Casper work tirelessly to make a quality sleep surface that cradles your natural geometry in all the right places. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amount of sink and bounce. It's a great product. We've got one from when they first started sponsoring the show here. It's in my son's bedroom. It's as good as new. I don't know how many years Casper's been sponsoring this show, but that mattress we got when they first started, and it still is a fantastic mattress. Brand new. Feels like it. Uh, it's got a breathable design that helps you sleep cool, regulate your body temperature throughout the night. Super well regarded. It's got high high marks, At Casper's own website, Amazon and Google, really, it's become America's internet, America's favorite internet mattress. They've got two other mattresses now, though. The Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. It's their high end product, and then the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. It's a lower price, but it's still a fantastic mattress. They also have a wide array of other products, pillows, sheets, all that sort of good stuff. We've got a whole bunch of it from Casper. It's all really, really high-quality stuff, and it's all designed, developed, and assembled right here in the United States. They've got affordable prices because they cut out the middleman. They don't have mattress stores. They don't sell to some retail-type thing, and then you got to go in there and uh, pay a markup. They sell direct to you and it's all delivered, these mattresses come to your door in these little tiny boxes. How in the world is that a queen or a king size mattress in a box like that? You'll find out when you open it up, follow their instructions, and it sucks all the air out of the room and just grows into a giant mattress. It's amazing. They've got free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. So you can be sure of your purchase with their 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Get it, sleep on it for three months, and if you really don't like it, They'll take it back, no questions asked. Give you all your money back. That's how confident they are. Here's their special offer for you: uh, fifty bucks towards select mattresses by visiting Casper.com/talkshow. Casper.com/talkshow, and the same thing as the URL slug. Just use that code talkshow at checkout. That's Casper.com/talkshow with special code talkshow. Terms and conditions apply. Fifty bucks towards select mattresses uh i don't know Do you think i gave a good answer to that about the state of apple i think so i think it's it's
0: very complicated for a number of reasons of course but it is (laughs) i i i'm curious what feedback we'll get on this right because it's like uh Uh, It is the discussion about is Apple doomed, sort of, but it's also much more nuanced than that. And I feel like it is just it's a very long discussion that's going to go on for years and years and years. And it's not like Apple is... I mean, the the size and the scope at which Apple now operates—they're going to be around. If everything went wrong, if the if the keyboard situation happened on every product uh, across the line, they would still be around for right. another you know like forty years, fifty years. Right. They have so much capital. They have so much cash in the bank. They, just, it's uh it's it's silly to talk about a company being doomed, but it is interesting to think about which way a, the giant oil tanker of a, of a vessel yeah. is sort of moving, right? They, they, um,
1: they could turn into the Apple that, that anti-Apple critics have always said was Apple, which is that people just buy it for the Apple logo. People buy their crap <laughs> products for the Apple logo. That's it. They just think it's cool. They could turn into that and still do well, you know?
0: Yes, a hundred percent. And I also think that it's interesting uh, discussion in the context of what we're seeing now with Microsoft, right? Famously, they have turned the ship around with Satya Nadella. They just hit the, the trillion dollar valuation yep. mark the other day. So, so people were celebrating that again, just how much of a different company it is. We uh, Ben Thompson and a few other folks and I were having this long Twitter back and forth about what that means. Stephen Sanofsky got involved. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, you know, like how much of it was a full-on pivot of the company versus just a change in leadership versus just time again, you know, passing. Um, And sort of like my argument there that I I have in my head uh, at least, and, you know, I don't watch Microsoft nearly as as closely, but like it does seem like that – people are, are shitting on Balmer and, and in some cases, rightfully so I'm sure, but like he did in a way, he helped them by putting the, the company, uh, getting the company to a point where it could be ready for change. Right. Because it was such an extreme version of what Microsoft was under Bill Gates. And it was just, you know, sort of milking the profits and, and doing the extreme version of windows everywhere and, and all that kind of stuff where the company was then in the position to be ready for, uh, the services movement and, and Sanofsky would argue that some of that stuff was put in place years in advance. And of course it was, Um, but the company was not ready to move at that point and needed, you know, maybe it's as simple as they needed the manager change, right. In order to, to institute some of these changes. And so thinking about that in the context of Apple, like Tim cook, I I do not want to compare Tim cook to Steve Ballmer, but like would, you know, is he the guy who's been executing it at an unseen pace and, and bringing in insane profits, but is there you know Tim Cook will eventually retire of course and what happens to the to the company as that next leader comes in is it a full on is it a full on pivot obviously Tim Cook is trying to institute that sort of in a way right now with services not a full on pivot maybe but but that being the next big part of growth and yeah. so does a new leader come in and make that the full company sort of like what Microsoft has done
1: yeah it's not i wouldn't call it a pivot because to me a pivot means moving from something to something right whereas this is an expansion of what Apple does in a meaningful way. Yeah, I guess I would say
0: it's the pivot in the growth area of the company, right? Like the growth was the iPhone and it's no longer going to be the iPhone. Now the growth is services.
1: Right, and they don't, you know, well, the watch is a big hit and AirPods are a hit, but they just don't seem as interested in... uh, well, for significant growth, you're never going to do it. I guess... The... No,
0: you can't. It's right. The iPhone was the greatest business right. ever created up until right. this point, right? right? You cannot create another product that will be like that. And so I think they're they've recognized that. And so what do you do? You have to create a whole slew of different things to in order to create the level of uh, a level of growth that sort of wall street appreciates that that everyone else appreciates uh when you're at the 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 size of a company that apple that continues hovers around the trillion dollar mark now
1: i'm looking forward to i feel like this is a an important wwdc and and i don't want to keep coming back to the mac but i feel like we've got like two contradictory narratives on where apple's taking the mac there's this marzipan angle uh, Mm -hmm. where technical aspects of it aside they're they're sort of turning it into the in some ways at a consumer level turning the mac into a simplified ios-like computing device as opposed to being a computer right right where the apps are sandboxed and some you know the, the 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 apps that they they're simple apps that Apple News app doesn't even open multiple windows. It's just a one-window app. Uh, And, you know, we know that there's more of these marzipan apps coming, and it's going to be a third-party technology where developers are going to be able to use this to share more code. And is it all going to be in the interest of turning the Mac into more of an iOS-like device as opposed to being a computer, a computer as a computer? Or is this something they're doing alongside the Mac still being a powerhouse, the 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 powerhouse workstation for serious pro level computing, and the thing I keep coming back to when I get worried is I keep coming back to the the uh, that really unusual approach that they took to the Mac Pro. Now what two years ago, uh, mm-hmm. where they called a couple of us in and said, "Look, you know, we we, we kind of screwed up with this trash can Mac Pro." Back to what did Federighi say? We backed ourselves into a painted ourselves into a thermal corner. Thermal corner, right? uh, You know, and said we're gonna, you know, we're we're committed. You know, we have a pro iMac coming that we think is fantastic for a lot of our pro users. Told us about it months before, you know, six seven months before it came out. It -hmm. is a fantastic computer. It is a very serious pro computer. Uh, But they said, you know, two years in advance, we're gonna, we're still, but we know that some pro users need more. And we're, mm-hmm. we're committed to them. So is the company that's committed to this seemingly super expensive, powerful, uh, and if it's taken them two years to make it, ought to be pretty impressive, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, like I keep saying, like when they did this, there were so many people, so many nerds who want, you know, developer types who just want them to just make a big box like you used to. Just make a Mac Pro in a big square box and put yep. Intel's biggest chip in there and then screw it back together and ship it (laughs) you know like so whatever (laughs) they're doing that that's taken two years hopefully it's going to be impressive uh i presume we're going to see it at wwdc and so what i would really like to see is is that they can walk and chew gum at the same time and that for typical users they can turn the mac keep improving the mac and maybe you know make it even simpler make it more you know make some things that are the same as they are on the ipad and at the same time for those who want and need it, keep the Mac as a very powerful computer. As a computer, that you have, you, the user, have all this, all the magical abilities you have when you can have your software and your scripts and your uh, stuff really just have at, have at it on the hardware.
0: So I think that that is maybe the critical question of, yeah, this year going into 2020, can they thread, how do they even thread that needle? And and what are they looking to do threading that needle? Because the other other avenue that's an offshoot of of what you're talking about and and why I think the Mac Pro and some of the other decisions they made were such mistakes was they looked at the absolute numbers and saw that it's not massive, certainly not compared to iOS. Right. But they didn't recognize, perhaps, the trickle-down effects and also just the halo effect, uh, you know, going back to the the iPod days, but, like, the halo effect of something like the Mac Pro where it's, like, every single user in Hollywood was using a powerful Mac to create all of the movies that that we were all watching, right? Right. And they sort of... Because that's, like, behind the scenes and you don't really think about it and, and they don't get love for it necessarily, they didn't think about, like, the halo effects and the trickle-down effects right. of, of that part of the business where there are real ones and it's starting to get eaten into by other companies who are just focused more
1: on that. Yeah. I, I What you just said, times a thousand. Uh, I, I And I had a f- conversation with a friend recently, a longtime Mac developer, uh, who made the analogy to uh, that – Car companies today don't are are moving away from making cars for enthusiast drivers. Um, Like I'm not a car guy, so I can't think of the best examples. I wish I was more of one, but I'll just just to name one. Like back when I was younger, Honda used to have a car called the Prelude, Mm -hmm. and it was a perfect name. It was, and one of my friends' uh, parents had one, and I thought it was the coolest car for like your parents to have. But the Honda Prelude, it was such a great name. Is it, it would have technology that wasn't ready for like the Accord and Civic yet beforehand mm-hmm. and like the VTEC engine that Honda has. I don't even know what the L VTEC engine I don't know what it means. <laughs> I've got one I have an Acura up in my uh, uh, garage that has one. I don't know what it means because I'm not a uh-huh. car guy. But like in the 80s when they first invented the VTEC engine, it showed up in the Prelude first and then, you know, and and then it would trickle down to the Accord years later. Yep. Uh and that cars today are it, they don't know what to do with them, and too many cars you buy. They're just they're they're heavy. They're too heavy, and they've just got all sorts of crap you don't need in on the doors and stuff like that. Like the because they don't know what to do, yep. and it's that loss of focus on the enthusiast market. Even if it's only going to sell in truly insignificant to the company's financials numbers, or maybe even be a bit of a loss because it it doesn't you know it, it sells in such low numbers, right. but it keeps the company focused on that enthusiast market. And keeps those drivers happy, or in Apple's case, keeps those Mac users happy, who are genuine enthusiasts, who want their computers to be super fast and super well made. Uh, it, it, there's a trickle down, like you said, I, I'll just borrow your phrase. There's a trickle down effect that it's hard. To, I don't know that you can quantify it. I don't think it's, right. you know.
0: It's intangibles. intangibles. that You can't measure right. that. That that market, I think about the education market too. They sort of did a mea culpa there as well, right? Because they see the inroads that right. Chromebooks have had, um, whereas they used to dominate the education markets. Um, and yeah, they just like you know they 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 pulled back from these things because it's not uh, the most obvious things, but they, uh, from their bottom line perspective and or from just the scale perspective, right? Right. Um, but there are intangibles that I think that
1: you really have to consider, right? Uh, you know, it's a maybe it's a bad example, but like what I would like to see them do is the to to keep the edge is at the at the nerd level at the power user level on the Mac to to keep that. F- to keep that focus and to just prove, you know, exercise their muscles and keep that going is the same way that like with the original Apple watch, they came out with a $20,000 gold <laughs> right. one, would, which clearly what, you know, it, it's a bad analogy because it's a totally different type of thing. It's like the, the, the sensible objectively thinking nerd was the, were the type of users who were like, what the, what the F is Apple doing <laughs> making $20,000 gold digital watches. yeah. But at the, let's make a statement to the watch industry. Let's flex our ability to work with new alloys and and do stuff i don't think that it, it looks it's it was a bit of a silly product but i don't know that it was a mistake i don't know that it was a bad idea because i think it was a way for apple to sort of flex muscles in that area and send a message to the watch industry yeah, yeah. like and it really clearly wasn't worth their time financially you know it was not it, it was you know it, it was not a popular product and i don't i don't think anybody at apple really ever thought it would be um but that's that everything they do shouldn't necessarily be to make a hit product. I think some of it is just developing muscles in certain areas.
0: I think that that is a, that is a great point. And I think it's an important point for a company again, that's that operates at the scale and size that Apple does now, because they have to recognize that not everything can be certainly not, nothing can be the iPhone scale. And so what do you What are you as a company when you can't replicate that? And the, the answer is, I mean, there's a few answers that it could be, but it seems like the answer is uh, doing a bunch of different things without going overboard and doing too much. They, you know, they're, they're famous things about right. what they what they say no to and 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 whatnot, but also they can push the envelope like you're talking about in ways that no other company can because if another company set out to do you know to use your the gold the gold apple watch but let's say it's a let's say it's a 10,000 dollar uh mac pro right um companies cannot afford most companies cannot afford to do that they just don't have the resources to do that nor could they afford you know to that to not sell in in quantities without them without it actually affecting the business apple can afford to do that kind of stuff and they just have to recognize that it's maybe not going to to move the needle in terms of growth in terms of bottom line but it does have these halo effects it does have intangibles it does have trickle down effects maybe that you know like you're talking about those components eventually make their way into the next macbook pro Right. And now they have a better sense of what people use that for. They have a better sense of um, of just pushing the envelope. They have a better sense of staying at the cutting edge, being state-of-the-art. And uh, because the iPhone became such a mass-market phenomenon, whereas no other Apple product was like that previously besides, I guess, the iPod was the first one but not at that scale – They're just a different company now, and not used to doing things that aren't going to be at mass scale. And why don't they get back to that? That's sort of their that was their bread and butter in the earlier days, right?
1: Right. Yeah, I'm not asking for 500 nos for every 500 yeses. You know, keep it a thousand nos to every yes, but maybe you know a a few more yeses for, for 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 good ideas. That would be useful, you know. That would be interesting for Apple strategically, even if the result isn't the bottom line.
0: And that—that's you know, and- that, almost like the the Amazon mentality when you think about it that way, right? right? Where it's like Fire Phone, total disaster. Yet it, may, you know, they would argue that it birthed the Alexa and and you know, yeah. subsequent other. Th- oh, I just triggered the as you say, dingus. <laughs> <is>, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I have actually. I have a whole there's alexa right? uh, i have a home pod a google home and the other one in here uh so i'm, I'm real brisk okay. <laughs> but yes but so like the amazon mentality of it basically there's th- you don't want to say throwing stuff at a wall and see what sticks but you do want to it- oh sorry there we go i'm muting her right. uh, you don't want to throw things at a wall and see what sticks but at the same time you do want to push the envelope
1: right even if you don't even you know Uh, uh, Yeah, even if you don't think it's going to be a smash hit that's my one of my big concerns about apple is if they don't see it as being a big hit they don't that it doesn't get their interest and they don't try um you know and i don't i'm not convinced of it it's just a worry
0: yeah i and i think it's a very relevant worry in this time especially because they're trying to you know so like the services (laughs) services 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 everyone knows car thing is still seems like you know it's the big team working on that though they have layoffs and then they hire more people and then of course the the glasses thing is the other thing that's like the worst kept secret out here that many people on that team uh it seems like are working on some sort of newfangled product and so they they probably feel like from their perspective look we have these these sort of three things services the car the glasses thing that are that are sort of our go forward strategy things so we can't sort of you know we we're, we are pushing the envelope we don't need to do anything else and yeah. like i think our our sort of summation of what we're talking about here is just like remember the stuff that you already have uh and don't lose sight of that and don't don't think that you can't uh uh can't sort of revisit some of those things and, uh, yeah, and at the same, same time uh and yeah. don't
1: cheap out on it like that's my my i don't think this is the case i'm optimistic but you know if the whole if if WWDC comes and goes, and we see these new Marzipan apps from Apple, and it really just looks like oh, they're just trying to cheap out and only you know just click a button in Xcode and have the iPad app ship on the Mac, so they don't have to have a Mac team doing these apps. That's yeah. bad, right? Like you know, it, yeah, it, you know, I, I what. I'm what optimistic. is your read on why they're doing
0: the the? Yeah, I, I know we're we're going pretty long here, but what is your read on why they're doing? marzipan is it so much that there's the developer community is so massive for iOS that this opens up a whole new avenue for them with the Mac or is it the the flip side the worst version which is that this is sort of the beginning of the graceful fade of the Mac and it just melts more into an iOS device
1: i don't know i feel like what we knew what we learned last year wasn't enough to know so that's why i, yeah. I that's really that that question to me is what I want. To, that's the question I want answers from at WWDC this year. Um, I I think uh, that part of it is a, a vague goal to get more uh, apps that aren't even on the Mac at all to get these developers to go through the whatever you have to do to get your iOS app to become a marzipan Mac app right. and do it. But I kind of feel like Apple might be wrong there that it's going to work i don't yeah. think i don't think there's i don't think there's anything they can do to make it so quote unquote easy to get a mac version that's going to get them to stop shipping you know like get slack to stop shipping slack for mac as a giant yep. 300 gigabyte electron turd uh i, I just do i don't, I, I, I don't
0: I think you're right that that's the likely outcome, and that's troublesome, right? Because yeah. it means that they're both distracted by this weird initiative, and if it backfires, it just looks like they're just like sort of launching this weird amalgamation of software that n- people aren't going to use or shouldn't use. And so, what I- you know, what is the ultimate purpose? Do they d- then just backtrack? Like, is it like the you know, something that they they tried and then they then they don't do. I, I do worry that it's um I they'll obviously say, we already know what they're going to say because they've said it many times, like the Mac and iOS are different different right. things, different beasts, different devices. Um they're always going to coexist together. And I think we can all agree like that always is certainly not true. Like it's not always, it's not in a hundred years are we gonna have right. both of them. Uh unlikely. Um so the question is, when does it? When do we cross the point? And is this a step in that direction, right. even if inadvertently, right? Right.
1: Uh, at, a, at a certain level, and I, I'm not going to turn this into a developer podcast, but basically Mac apps are written in a framework called AppKit. And AppKit dates all the way back to like 1989 or 1990 at Next. And the frameworks, you know, uh, um, some of them have continuity all the way from 1989 to now. Uh, UI kit. Uh, so the iOS has never had AppKit. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, iOS replaces AppKit with something called UI kit. Uh, and basically, what Forstall and his team did in the development of the original iPhone, and they were all, you know, like Forstall was an old Next Hand. They all knew the team making it knew AppKit in and out. It was a sort of, okay, it's 2005, 2006. What would we do differently in AppKit now, knowing now? that we didn't know then what 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 can we improve what can we what's awkward and lengthy and verbal you know you have to type a lot of code to do this in AppKit. what could we do in UI to make it easier and so you know there's a lot of developers who think UI kit is easier than AppKit, right uh, and it's a lot easier to go from app to UI kit so if you were a Mac developer Back when the iPhone came out, you could go to UI kit and say, Oh, I see. This is just like blank, blank, blank. And stuff was, even if stuff was different, it was usually easier. Whereas the vice versa is harder, seemingly. That UI kit developers, you know, developers who make iPhone apps, if they go and look at the Mac, they think, Well, this looks like a lot more work than what I'm used to. I could just do XYZ here. I have to go all the way from A to Z here. Long story short uh so the idea might be if in uh, the optimistic sense is that this is just apple's strategy for keeping the mac vibrant for years to come and here is a better more modern way to make truly rich mm-hmm. mac apps that are you know as mac like as you could hope for but a better way for uh, new frameworks and a modern set of apis for developers Like a lot less about, hey, just click this one checkbox and your iPad app turns into a Mac app and a lot more, hey, we've got a whole week worth of sessions for you developers where we cannot wait to tell you and you can dig in and you can make these rich, thorough, uh, as deep as you want, powerful as you want Mac apps using a a more modern set of APIs. And if you're an Mm -hmm. iPhone developer, you're going to find this a lot more comfortable.
0: So I love that narrative and I hope that that's the case for sure. Is there something... uh, is there an offshoot of that, which also perhaps makes it easier for when they, of course, transition the MacBook to the
1: A-series chips? Is there something about I don't, that? I don't think so because – I don't know. I mean, to me, it would be worrisome if they go that way and then they say, and the only Mac apps that make the transition are these Marzipan apps. Right. I think that the way that uh, – I don't think there's anything related to Mac apps as we know them in AppKit that would prevent them from cross-compiling to A-series ARM chips. And uh, most developers I know, at least ever since the PowerPC to Intel switch, have Mm -hmm. been like, if they got caught with code that didn't easily go from PowerPC to Intel, they're never going to make that mistake again. Mm -hmm. like i think adobe will be ready to go i think microsoft adobe in particular would be the one that's more important because adobe's apps are more performance uh right right oriented oriented. yeah oriented so i don't think so but it could be you know it could be just for not for technical reasons that that developers couldn't just cross like a new version of xcode that spits out arm mac apps most i think most mac apps would just be uh, you just click a button in the toolbar in xcode and out pops an app that runs natively on both. I don't think I don't think they need this switch for that. But we shall see. Anyway, <laughs> yes. uh we've run over uh our allotted time. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about, but I I could I could I could say we wrap this up.
0: We'll wrap it up and talk again in earlier than 2 years. Yeah,
1: earlier than 2 years. <laughs> MG Siegler, thank you very much. you uh you've got your uh, your website now that you do most of your writing is 500ish Dot com. Yes. Five hundred five zero zero is dot com. Five hundred-ish words at a time. Do you ever pay attention to the word count? Do you, do you?
0: <laughs> I tried to when I first started doing it a few years several years ago at this point, but right. now I mean, you know, you know the way it goes. Yeah. You sit down to write something and five hundred turns into a thousand in no time. And so yeah, I would I would I guess that on average they're like eight hundred
1: most of the time. Yeah. That's one thing that's funny. I've said this before, like I, if I grew up in a different era, I'm sure I could do it. And I used to write, you know, in the college newspaper, and there were definite space constraints. You know, there was a minimum and a maximum length to an op-ed column. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've really lost that muscle. I, yeah. Like, that's like, hard. I, I wrote uh, back page columns for Mac World occasionally, and they were very tightly constrained. I mean, there was like a it was a very narrow range of <laughs> like 50 words. Like, you you need you know. <laughs> it was it was hard. And like, I still I admire like the New York Times op ed columnists like Paul Krugman, who they they have to write a column that's almost the exact same length, like twice a week, every week. I, I don't. I don't have that muscle anymore at all. Like, and if p- I want, and
0: people talk about, of course, it's much harder to to write, you know, succinctly than it is to, yeah. to blather on. But, and I think that that's absolutely true. I did set it up more to like. It was more uh, to try to um, force myself to write in the post sort of reporter days, right? To force myself to give myself an easy target, right? To write every day, and uh, it's just so much easier said than done because you're like, what do I cut? I don't know what to cut here, and then do you write a second story about? the thing that you cut and all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's your website. 500 ish words. I look forward to every one of your columns. I like it. And then on Twitter, people can follow you of course, at M G Siegler. Uh, Yes. Just, just search for M G Siegler Twitter. It'll take you right there. Thank you.